Welcome back to the channel. This is the Brave Believer, and I'm Sean. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Ray Comfort going against Matt Dillahunty, talking about is God real? Does he exist? It's a debate that was held on a channel called the Modern Day Debate on YouTube. Uh, the original video link is in the video description below. Thank you guys for being here so much tonight. We're going to be looking at the main meat of this debate, not the Q&A at the end, not the intros, that kind of stuff, just the main meat of what they said. Kind of, kind of they're back and forth with each other if you're not familiar with Ray Comfort, he was very popular in the last 20 years, uh, going out and doing street evangelism, putting out a series of, of uh, videos and documentaries about God. He's an evangelist. Matt Delahunty is an evangelist for atheism, for skepticism. So we have two evangelists from different worldviews going head to head tonight. And we hope that you are here to um, study analytically, keep an open mind and open heart to know that we are probably going to hear some fallacious arguments something that you would define as sophistry. So sophistry is something to where it sounds plausible, but really it's it's a misleading argument or it's based off of fallacious sentiments or a fallacious underpinning, meaning a false underpinning, right? There's a trick with the argument somewhere. You just have to break it down. Um, a lot of skeptics and atheists are classical. Like this is their, this is their MO. Like they love the sophistry. Um, so we're going to try to weed through that best we can. I uh, just want to say a big hello to everyone that's in live chat tonight. we got a, a poll up and running um, in the live chat tonight. Let me see the, the poll question. Be sure to participate in that. If, you, if you're in the live chat or if you're watching, jump in the live chat and tell us what you think about the poll. It's if the creator of the Bible is real, would you believe in him? So you have yes, it would be mental not to. You have four choices, right? Or you could say no, I, I wouldn't want to. Or you're still studying the issue out. Or you believe whatever scientists say. We'll pray for you if that's the case. So... Without further ado, guys, thank you so much. Hit the like button, share this on your socials, bring more people into the live chat. We hope that you're having a good night tonight. Let's have some fun with this. And let's take a look at this uh, interesting discussion here. Also, everyone in the live chat, if you would, uh, drop a one if all my audio sounds okay. It sounds, it sounds good on my end, but that doesn't always mean anything. So let me know on your end. Drop a one in the chat if it sounds good. It's a pleasure to be here, James. Uh, I'm delighted to see Matt. I love Matt. I respect Matt. You said he said some bad things about me, and we may not be friends, but I always count him a friend, and uh, I'm delighted. The last time we met was when I interviewed PZ Myers um, here locally in Southern California. Um, Matt may remember that, and I used that footage in Evolution versus God. And uh, also, Matt, I just want to take a moment to thank you so much for the kindness with which you treated me when I was on the Atheist Experience. I've never forgotten that. And by the way, do you usually get over a million views for the videos? Sometimes, not usually. Yeah, well, I noticed that's over a million. So people like dumb old banana man by the look of it. Um, but you were very, very gracious to me. A number of times when I was over talked, I heard you say, hang on, hang on, let Ray speak. And I greatly appreciated that. So the subject today is, does the gospel make sense? And I think the best way to illustrate it is to share the gospel, but I'm going to direct it at you, Matt, 
And the reason for that is because I love you and I care about where you spend eternity. And Penn Gillette was right when he said, if you believe in hell and you've found everlasting life, how much do you have to hate someone not to share the gospel with them? So Matt, you're the man, you're the dartboard and the arrows coming your way. Um, I believe you're in terrible danger and I believe you don't believe that. And if I can convince you that you are in terrible danger, I'm doing you the ultimate favor. You know, I was uh, a believer in evolution when I became a, a Christian, but the night I became a Christian, it wasn't somebody destroying evolution that convinced me that the gospel was right. It was one Bible verse. And that is where Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached, you've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I've never committed adultery. And if heaven exists, I'm going to make it there because I've not broken that commandment. And then I read the words of Jesus, but I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. And it was like an arrow hit my chest. And Matt, I know you're very familiar with the gospel. You're very familiar with the words of Jesus. I wonder if uh, Ray is going to ever define how he's using the term the gospel. Is it going to be the, just the life, death, and resurrection story, or is it going to be what Jesus talked about, which is called the gospel of the kingdom, which talks, it, it does include the life, death, and resurrection, but uh, Jesus talked in an abundance more about an actual coming kingdom of God to the earth, to which righteousness reigns on the earth, and all nations come before that kingdom, and uh, and stop killing each other. They learn the ways of the Father and the Son, which are considered the, the law of heaven, and that, that whole system, that whole kingdom is brought to the earth, and all the nations start abiding by it, and this is how you actually have a thousand years of peace. So this is what Jesus preached. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. We'll see if he actually defines that at some point. I'm sure you're very familiar with the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, knelt down and said, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's, um, I think, Mark 10, verse 17. And Jesus said something really weird to him. He said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And the reason he did that, I believe, is that most of us proclaim our own goodness. We think we're good people. But then Jesus gave him five of the Ten Commandments to bring the knowledge of sin and to show him he was a sinner. And that's why every time I do a debate or witness or share, to someone, share with someone, I go through the commandments to bring the knowledge of sin. Because I know, Matt, that you have a conscience that bears witness with the commandments. God has taken his time to write his law upon your heart. You intuitively know it's wrong to lie, steal, murder, commit adultery, even to lust. And you know in your heart, God should be first. And when I realized that on the day, uh, on the day of judgment, when I realized on the day of judgment, I'd be guilty before God. I'd be condemned to hell justly by God. I'd be damned. That's when the cross made sense, that Christ died for our sins. You and I violated God's law. Jesus paid the fine. That's what happened on that cross. Matt, if you're in court and someone pays your fine, a judge can let you go and do that which is just and right. You can say, Matt, there's a stack of speeding fines here. This is deadly serious, but someone's paid them. You're free to go. And you can do that, which is legal and right and just. Even though you're guilty, you can walk because someone paid your fine. All right. So Ray's using the classic uh, Christian modern cultural example of a lawyer in a courtroom or a judge in a courtroom scenario looking at someone that's being convicted and then saying, oh, well, someone's already paid your fine. Hence, Jesus Christ dying on, your cro on the cross. That's, that's a very, very short summary, uh, metaphoric picture of how um, Ray Comfort has described the gospel for many, many years. He goes out on the street and he talks to people and he says, 
You know, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery and therefore you deserve death. But someone has paid your penalty for you because he died on the cross for you. At a surface level, all those things are, you know, they're metaphorically correct, but they're technically not how the Son saves us. Um, Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he was in the heart of the earth for three days. Yes, he resurrected. But there's also what was promised of him, which was the Old Testament promised the Son of God would become high priest of the covenant of Israel to make atonement for us through his priesthood and then have the power to raise us to eternal life. And that's the part of the whole John 3.16, where we actually get, you know, if we believe in him, we we would not perish but have everlasting life. That is fulfilled through what Jesus actually was prophesied to come do. So if you're like brand new, you've never, ever heard the gospel before, you've never heard any idea of why people revered for 2,000 years, people have been revering Christ as the Messiah and as the Son of God who has died for you, and that's such a, a thing that keeps being brought up all the time. Ray gives you a very surface level, entry level, you know, kind of a novice understanding of it, right? Just kind of a, and through this classic metaphor of a courtroom scenario with the judge, okay? But technically, the difference in the actual, you know, aside from that loose metaphor, the actual scriptures talk about Jesus became the judge. And he, he died for you to become the judge, not to just pay your penalty. So metaphorically, he paid your penalty, but literally, technically, according to the Scriptures, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, he obeyed the Father to the point of death and got resurrected to be made a high priest. And as he tells us in John chapter 5, the Father doesn't judge anyone. All judgment has been given to the Son. That was the point of the high priest of Israel. He was a judge over the people to adjudicate them um, according to to the standard of the law of God. So that's what that's how we get resurrected to eternal life. That's every word and deed that we're based off of, is the judge, Jesus Christ, is the one that looks at our life and determines whether he wants to give us eternal life or not. Now, yeah, obviously belief is, is involved in that. You know, this is why Jesus said, if, if you don't believe my Father who sent me, you're definitely you know, not going to believe in me. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're, you're not respecting the authority of the Father and the Son as... Uh, having authority over all of creation. So if you don't want eternal life, they're going to, you know, they're not going to make you have eternal life. <laughs> so then you're going to be extinguished from existence with what's called the second death. And so this is uh, this is why the Creator gave His Son as a free gift to you, and the, and the Son went through excruciating, torturous pain to get to that position of authority to actually give you eternal life, and He gives it to you if you would believe and become his disciple. So there, you know, it, the, the gift, is, the extension of the eternal life is offered to you freely, but there is something required of you, and that's that you change your ways, right? That you adopt their behavior and start actually trying to learn what it means to live as, you know, re- with respect to being created. So the reason I'm saying all this is because I hope they get into the meat of some of this. If they're talking about God exists, because Ray Comfort is very, very famous for bringing in the judgment aspect of why we need Christ. But like I said, with that metaphor, he, he makes it to where you don't know who the judge is. You're just in a courtroom with the judge, and then suddenly the judge says, oh, instead of convicting you, your debt's been paid by this person over here. Okay, metaphorically, yeah, we could. that's fine. Uh, amen and hallelujah, Christ paid our debts on the cross. But technically, Christ actually became the judge. So that means you want to know how you're being judged. How is the judge looking at you and saying, this is what's determined. Because, you know, literally, you, you cannot deny God your whole life and then just suddenly in your deathbed be like, okay, just, just in case I'll throw up this prayer and see, and, and just in case heaven's real and God's real and, 
and eternal life is real and all that kind of stuff. The resurrection is real. Just in case all that's a real thing, uh, I'll just uh, give lip service at the end of my life. I'm dying. Like, you know, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's a legit concept. I don't know how long, if, if Christ decides to, to, you know, if he, cause he can see into our heart. Um, if, if he could see into your heart at that point and actually see that you're genuine, it's still up to him whether he saves you or not. I just know there's a pretty strong precedent in the scriptures that if you, that you're to be found worthy of the resurrection, that's how he's going to be judging you. And he looks at your entire life. So it doesn't mean that it's some sort of scale. You have to have more bad, more good deeds than bad. There are a lot of people at the end of their life that come to faith in Christ and have genuine repentance and conversion moments. It's wonderful. We're not discounting that. I just want to be very clear in sharing that this metaphor he's trying to express is very much uh, not representative of, of actually how Jesus saves you according to what the Scripture says. It just focuses on Yeshua's sacrifice on the cross but then they don't talk about what happens after that and how do you get the promise of that believing in him, you get eternal life. And what does that all mean? And well, all that's been explained to us in the Bible, but a lot of street evangelists don't go into that depth. Unfortunately, a lot of smart, intelligent people are walking by on the street and they need that depth. They need those details to understand logically. Okay. Okay. That makes sense why I had to die on the cross. Otherwise there's this strange, vague mysticism of, he died on the cross, and now I have eternal life if I just give lip service to him. That doesn't make sense in anything in life. That doesn't make sense according to the... I should, I should probably not even say that. That doesn't make sense according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures, abundantly in the, in the Gospels and the New Testament, tell you that you have to actually produce the deeds of repentance, the fruit of repentance in your life, so that you can show that you're sincerely trying to adopt your life to the behavior of Christ. Jesus tells us himself in Luke 6.40 that when a disciple is fully trained, he will be like his master. So if, if we're discipling after Master Jesus, then we're going to become like him. That means we have to change our behavior, and that's showing the fruit of repentance. Um, <laughs> so that's what he judges us off of, right? If we continue to go out there and you know be a warmonger and kill people and, and pillage and, and take over villages and all that, and then you know, get to judgment and being like, but, uh, but I said I believed you exist. This is what James, in the book of James chapter 2, tries to even address. He's like, even the demons believe that Jesus exists. That doesn't matter. Like, that's that doesn't just get you in just because you believe he exists. It's, are you changing your behavior to his? That's the big stalwart. That's the big sticking point. And the reason I say this is because I haven't seen this entire debate. I've seen pieces of it. And midway through, Matt Dillahunty, he actually talks about his, why he became a skeptic and an atheist is because he tried to live a Christian life and show his roommate, I think he says his roommate um, or his brother, um, he tried to show him and prove that God was real, but he couldn't figure out how to do it. So, all right, let's get back to it, guys. And even though you and I are guilty before God under the death sentence, God can take the death sentence off us and let us legally live forever because Jesus paid the fine and full on that cross and rose from the dead and defeated death. Now, Here's the rub. Most people don't realize what death is. And Matt, I'm sure you're familiar with this famous Bible verse that you learn when you're in church. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. According to the Bible, death is wages. God has paid you in death for your sins. It's like a judge in a court of law has a heinous criminal before him. And he says, you've raped three women and murdered them. I'm paying you in the death sentence. You've earned this. This is your wages. This is what you deserve. And God considers sin to be so serious 
He's given us the death sentence. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. You're on death row, Matt. Every beat of your heart is a drumbeat of your own funeral march. And it's evidence that what God says is true. And after death, the judgment. Now, let me see if I can bring some coagulation to what I'm trying to say. Matt, imagine you woke up tomorrow morning and you had a little bit of a pain under your arm and it got worse during the day and you went to the doctor and says, doc, there's this pain under my arm and it's starting to really hurt. And the doctor looks worried and he goes away and does some tests, comes back and he said, oh, man, I'm sorry, this is lymph node cancer, it's metastasized. You're gonna be dead in two weeks. There's nothing we can do for you. I'm gonna give you some painkillers. They're gonna take away the pain slightly, but you're gonna be dead in two weeks. So you go home and you lie on your bed. You're not interested in atheism. You're not interested in sex, partying, booze, having a good time. You're so nauseated by the drugs, the side effects. All you can think of is in two weeks, you're gonna be put in a hole in the ground. And you're saying, I wonder if there is a way to find everlasting life. And this isn't some weird scenario. Over 600,000 Americans will die of cancer in the next year. So have you come up with an answer? Well, I have. Christ died for our sins, rose again on the third day. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And this is the reason the gospel makes no sense to someone who's proud of heart, someone who won't acknowledge their sins. If you're on the freeway and I suddenly stopped you and said, hey, man, Someone's paid a fine for the law that you broke. You'd probably say, that doesn't make sense. I haven't broken any law. What are you talking about? I don't need, what are you saying? I'm a lawbreaker. The good news of a fine being paid for you will be foolishness. It won't make sense. But if I take the time to say, the area you just drove through at 75 miles an hour was set aside for a blind children's convention. 15 miles an hour was the maximum speed. There were signs everywhere. You're in big trouble. You'll go in jail for a long time. Or you've got this massive fine that someone's paid it. Now, because you realize how serious your transgression is, the fine being paid for you is not foolishness. It makes sense and is exactly the same with the gospel. If someone's proud and self-righteous, they don't see sin as being serious, the gospel will make no sense. Christ paying the fine for, I don't need that, I'm not a sinner. But once you realize how serious sin is, that it gives you the death sentence, that God's wrath abides on your enemy of God in your mind through wicked works. Once you acknowledge that with a good and honest heart, you've got a humble heart, then the good news of the gospel makes sense. It's the best news you could ever hope to hear, that God can grant you everlasting life, not as a spook on a cloud playing a rusty harp for eternity, but God says you can have everlasting life. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove myself to you. All you've got to do is give up the fight, stop the rebellion, repent and trust in the Savior, and God promises he'll reveal himself to you, even if you're an atheist. It's happened to many atheists, happened to me. And Matt, it's my deepest prayer that you consider what I've said today, because my motive isn't to win a debate. It's to win you because I love you and I care about you. Over to you, Matt. Take me to pieces. Thanks so much, Ray. And absolutely, we'll kick it over to Matt. The floor is all yours. Oh, I didn't, I didn't notice anything about time. So, hey. Okay, um, so real quick, Ray's opening statement, he comes with that traditional, you know, um, only someone with a proud heart is going to reject Christ, going to reject God. Um, that's assuming they even understand the argument. Okay, so yes, that's a factor in it. Um, 
and, and depends on the personality and the experience of that person, all that depends on their knowledge level. You know, I've met people that don't have a clue what the book of Luke is. They've literally never opened the Bible. So it's, it's not that people sometimes like Romans 14 says, how can they believe if they have not heard? Sometimes people just don't know the information to know whether they choose to believe it or not. Now, technically, that's not exactly the experience we see with someone like Matt Dillahunty, who claims to know the Bible and claims that it's that he doesn't agree with it or that it's silly or that it's contradictory and all these all these different arguments he might try to come up with. So um, I don't know. Like You guys can tell me what you think in the live chat. Do you think that that's a good opening position for Ray to come at Matt and say, look, uh, you're just rejecting Christ because you're you're prideful, and that's why you're also not going to understand the gospel. Um, I don't know. You guys tell me in the in the live chat what you guys think if that was a good opening. All right, I'm also going to put since Matt's about to speak, guys, he's kind of famous for this. I'm also going to put this on screen here. This is a uh, like we already talked about sophistry, fallacious arguments, or basically misleading bad arguments that are um, that sound plausible, but when you really break them down, they're not as well as insults. So we're just going to do a little fun counter tonight as we go through the next few minutes and just see if we can uh, see if we can tally up this type of behavior because it's very consistent with atheists and skeptics. You're welcome. Uh, I, I got a bunch of questions uh, that came to me. I'll, I'll have questions for Ray later, but a lot of people were like, wait a minute, why are you doing this debate with Ray? You swore you'd never debate Ray again after the last time when he said he does not interested in debate. He just loves you. Yes, I said that. Uh, this is not a really structured debate. We're stating our positions and then we're going to discuss it, which, okay, if you want to pit, pick nits, then yes, I'm debating Ray, uh, which is fine. So I, uh, when I'm looking at this, the first thing that comes into my mind is, okay, we want to make sure that we're talking about something different that Ray and I haven't discussed before. So it's not slavery. It's not the existence of God. It's the gospel message and whether or not it makes sense. So this isn't about everything uh, or anything that just happened. Okay. He said it right out the gate. His, his he thinks this discussion is about the gospel message and whether or not it makes sense. So maybe, maybe my, my uh, suspicion, is, maybe I was on to something because I haven't even seen this part of the opening. I just saw pieces of the, of the middle of their discussions. And so I didn't even know that was one of his opening statements, right? But that's, that's, that's it for a lot of people. It just doesn't make sense to them. And I'll be honest with you, traditional Christian explanations from the last 150 years don't always make sense. They're not consistent with the actual words in the book. So let's hear what he, the rest he's got to say. It's to appear in the Gospels. I'm not going to be worried about how to reconcile the Easter accounts, although that's a wonderful subject to potentially debate, as I don't think it can be done. I'm not worried about genealogy or historicity, just concerned with the message. And so the first thing I had to do was think, well, what did I understand the Gospel message to be when I was a believer? You know, I have, I have a Jesus fish hat around here that I would occasionally like to put on, but I won't do it during the debate. What I understood the gospel message was that uh, man brought sin in the world through disobedience. This created an issue where there was a separation from God and righteousness. There's nothing that we can do, no works that we can do, nothing that we can accomplish that is going to, that is going to alleviate this uh, uh, wrong that we've done, uh, and it will eternally separate it from God. And then Jesus dies and is reborn uh, to forgive us of our sins, and that's, this is the mechanism that provides salvation from the debt you owe uh, by grace through faith for those who believe. And All right, there it is. There it is right there. It's what we just tried to break down. He, he thinks the death of Christ is the mechanism by which salvation happens if you believe. It's, that, was a, that was the unfortunate 
journey for Christ to get to his priesthood position. The priesthood position is the authority and the mechanism for him to forgive your sins and raise you to eternal life. So if if Matt's never been explained that part, then I don't blame him for saying it doesn't make sense that someone can just die and then suddenly they have the power to forgive my sins. That doesn't make sense. If you don't explain the the reason Jesus was sent, as the, the prophets say in Psalms and Zechariah and Isaiah, that to become someone that can bear our sins, to become a priest for us, a high priest specifically, and that he was going to be given the power to judge, and to, to, which means you can atone for sin as well as raise someone to eternal life. Um, this is what is explained of Christ after his resurrection and ordination into his priesthood. That's why he ascended back to heaven, to, the, to heaven's temple, to fulfill that priesthood. So that's where he has the authority, the power, and the mechanism for which he actually will raise people to eternal life. So, I, you know, I, I can't fault Matt for, for not understanding. He's basically just saying, I'm frustrated, I don't understand. Now, compile that for 30, 40 years of Christians like Ray running up to him and saying, hey, well, uh, you, I, I can't really clarify what you don't understand. You should just believe. Or the reason you don't understand, because the gospel's foolishness to those who are in pride. Then you're like, well, maybe, maybe. There may be some pride there. But at the same time, does he actually know the story? Or does he just know the highlights? Like, are Because the highlights is like the most popular message preached on all church corners across most nations that have that are predominantly Christian church-filled nations. They, they, they talk about the cross of Christ, the moment of his death. And then once, once a year, when Easter comes around, they talk about his resurrection. But it's always talking about his death and how it paid a price to you. Now come down front, close your eyes, and say this prayer with me, and you'll be saved. Like... They don't explain the rest of the story. And there's a lot of Christians and unbelievers out there that need to hear the details of the rest of the story. Although, to be clear, because I talk so much about belief, I don't remotely think the gospel is just an intellectual exercise in believing that there's a God. That's not what believe in means in that context. But there's a number of problems here. Uh, I won't get into whether or not a God exists other than to say that is an issue because it's like, you know, when we get to the to the end of Ray's opening and, and you're talking about me speeding and there's signs everywhere, I'm sure we'll deal with that in detail. But the first issue is who put up those signs? Is that a recognized authority that can actually enforce the law? I don't have that when it comes to God. The notion of sin itself is something that I find strange. I don't know how you could wound a God. I don't know how you could wrong a God. Um, but because it, it boils into like thought crimes too, you know, if you if you've thought something, then you're guilty. Cool. But the notion of original sin is problematic. It, it should be because it's not in scripture. It's a Catholic convention, um, as well as if he had a definition for what sin is, it's transgression of God's instructions for right behavior. Then he would understand it's not God who's being wounded, but it's you saying you don't want to be like God. Therefore, you're you're rejecting. How were you? You were created. The, the, the creator made you in his image. He expects you to do his same behavior. He wants you to, that's, that's the behavior he does in his house. And the whole point of this is to resurrect you and bring you into his house. So you live with him. If you're, if you're going to do opposite, like in his house, there's no lying. There's no stealing. There's no adultery. There's no idolatry. There's no cannibalism. You come in there and you're, you know, you're from a tribe that did cannibalism and all your life you've done cannibalism, you never repented, you never practiced different behavior, he resurrects you to eternal life, you, are you going to think, oh, I need to do cannibalism now when I get to his house? Like that's, he's going to get kicked, you're going to get kicked out. So the, the whole point of the resurrection is he puts his behavior on your heart. He's not going to do that if you've never ever shown him in your life that you want his behavior on your heart. 
if you've done the opposite, if you've rejected his behavior and done something different. So that's called sin. That's called transgression of his instructions for right behavior. The short version of that is his law. His law given to all of mankind who expected the commandments for them to follow is how to behave rightly. And when you transgress that instruction, it's called sin. So again, if, if Matt had some good terms defined for him, maybe earlier in his life, he wouldn't still at this point, I'm guessing he's in his late 50s, expressing his absolute confusion on these Christian terms and ideas and why they're so intricate to the gospel message. He doesn't understand the actual call of repentance and what it means. So, yeah, and as he said, it's not just, he thinks that the word belief has, has to be something more than just an exercise in, in saying that you believe in something, right? He's right. It's a repentance. It's, it's changing your behavior to adopt your behavior to that of Jesus Christ. Of course it's, it's a change. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, it's, it breaks my heart to hear that he's got such logical questions that someone hasn't come along and answered. May, you know, hopefully I'm doing a, a decent job of it uh, quickly, and hopefully he sees something like this, this video. Because did God know that, well, we'll just stick with the Bible as writ, did God know that Adam and Eve were going to fail, that they were going to disobey, that they were going to eat the fruit of the tree that he specifically said they shouldn't? Was there any way that that could have gone any other way? Is it possible that God could have created a universe in which there wasn't uh, inevitable sin? And did God know this ahead of time? Because if God knew this ahead of time and could have done differently, then God's the one that made the decision to bring original sin in the world, not Adam and Eve. And that's the conflation, because original sin is not defined as um, the foreknowledge of God on whether or not someone has the propensity to transgress his instructions. Um, it's, 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 the, it's this Catholic idea that all of mankind was, was created um, already sinful versus, uh, and I'm just giving a short description of it, versus the idea of free will. People actually have the choice to do what's right or to do what's wrong. So this is where, you know, um, Yeshua as a man is, is, you know, not, he was not, there's no hypostatic union. That's a philosophical Catholic idea that's not in Scripture. Um, but the idea that Christ was, it actually came and was born as a man and chose not to sin throughout his whole life and therefore was not guilty of any sins, was without sins, is a, our prime example that this idea of original sin in, as being born as a human, original sin is not an actual thing. It's just that when people grow up and, Depends on influence and life and character choices. Other people have chosen to sin. That's that's the idea. They've chosen to transgress those instructions. And so over time, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures tell us Adam and Eve were in the garden seven years, and at the end of seven years they were tempted and they made bad choices over time. So this is where um, they were throughout that seven years learning the right behavior and trying to walk it out and practice it. So this is why the Creator gave us a priesthood both through angels and through men on the earth, which is to atone for your mistakes while you're practicing. So it's all a part of the, the details of the story that our, uh, our hungry soul, Matt, does not have those details. It's a shame. Then there's this notion of inherited sin, which is not that I'm born guilty for what I'm actually doing, but that I'm already born guilty because of what other people have actually done. This notion of inherited sin it begins with original sin. It yeah, inherited sin is not in the scriptures. Ezekiel 18 fleshes this out in great detail. Uh, each man is judged for his own behavior, not the behavior of his father. It progresses such that we are all guilty carrying on the sins of the father, not through necessarily what we've done, but because of what was done prior to us. It reminds me, uh, and I'm, my, my relationship, first of all, my relationship with my father is fine. 
but it reminds me of a time when my dad gave me a beating and when uh, he found out or, or had a good suspicion that I hadn't actually done the thing uh, that, that got me the beating, he said, well, then that was for something else that you did that I didn't catch you for. It's this notion that the beating, first of all, which we shouldn't beat any children. I don't care what the Bible says or anything else. Let's listen to actual science and psychology. Let's not hit people and encourage and teach people to hit people. But this notion that you had it coming, even if I didn't know about it, is similar to this. Then you have the Jews, who are God's chosen people in the Old Testament, uh, who had a bunch of blood magic rituals. Essentially, in order to appease God, they would have to kill and slaughter animals and light them on fire. And the smell of burning animals. Yeah, so he's misrepresenting the Old Testament, whether, I don't know if it's uh, intentionally or just through ignorance, but they're not blood magic rituals. Um, it's literally slaughtering of an animal and preparing it as a meal to be eaten on behalf of the people preparing it or those who brought it or whatnot. So this is not, there's no blood magic ritual <laughs> involved here. This was pleasant to God's nose. That is blood magic. It is no, it's not. It's the same thing that you do when you buy meat at the grocery store. You bring it home, you put it on the grill, and the aroma of you cooking with the ingredients, the seasoning, the salt, it's a warm, wonderful, pleasing aroma to you. It's the same thing. You just it, This is another example of someone not really explaining to Matt the actual details of what was happening um, for the priests that made offers. Uh, they brought their holy gifts and sacrifices, which was animals they made meals out of. <laughs> very simple, very simple concept. It is... Of the things we're talking about, whether or not the gospel message makes sense, this is where the nonsensical part begins. This is this is the 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 things that most Christians that I met and would have interacted with um, would put down as no 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 that's not of God, not the sacrifice. Sacrifice yes, but the blood magic they just don't recognize the tie to it. So then Jesus becomes a special. See if he actually understood actual blood magic. And what they did in relationship to the eating and drinking of blood um, with the, the death of an innocent, usually some sexual morality involved and different things like that, you would understand that all of those things are prohibited by the creator of the universe. He says, do not do those things. He doesn't have you engage in any of that stuff. So he's actually misusing the term blood magic. Again, I don't, I don't want to assume that he's doing it intentionally, but he's clearly ignorant of the Old Testament's explanations of what the priests were doing with the animals, and it seems as if he's ignorant of actual occultic blood magic, too. Okay, sort of blood sacrifice. But the question is, why can't God just forgive people? If God created people, God created the rules, God's the enforcer of the rules, God wants to be lenient, he's the judge, he's the one that says, hey, you're never going to deserve your place in eternity, I'm going to give it to you anyway, but only if I get to come down and take human form and kill myself and sacrifice myself to myself to serve as a loophole for rules that I'm in charge of. And then to find out who. Man, he really needs to know about the priesthood of Christ, doesn't he? He really needs to understand the actual story of why the son was sent. And he's also inferring with his quick wittedness of saying, well, now he's kind of mocking right now saying, well, God's going to come down himself to take care of these things through a loophole in his law. Because that's how penal substitutionary atonement is taught mostly by Catholicism and mostly now brought over by Protestants the past three, four years. And there's different variances of it, but that's the general premise. It's also, he's assuming the Trinitarian model as well, because they, they teach that with PSA. It's strongly related. And so, yeah, it's just he just doesn't know the actual details of why the Messiah was sent, what he did after he resurrected, and why it matters to his salvation and, and potential resurrection, if he, if he would believe. He's actually going to accept all of that. Specifically, you know, the gospel matches is that 
this is what a God did. An all-knowing, all-powerful being created people, created the rules about their thoughts and behavior, defined some of those things as bad or that they weren't preferable to him, specifically created a universe where things go wrong, knowing that they would go wrong, specifically such that some people would be saved to heaven and others would be damned to hell. And so sin is just a concept of, God, of doing whatever it is that God doesn't approve of. Yet I have no evidence of a God or what a God approves of or disapproves of. I only have the claims of men. And we'll reference yet another Bible verse, uh, let God be true and every man a liar. So if God wants me to know his rules, he can tell me himself. Uh, okay, so that's that almost falls into sophistry, but it's he's still just making his opening statement, so I'm not going to put it on the counter. But that's basically him just putting up a big, a big straw man argument like you know hebrews 1 1 it talks about that god spoke to to us through many prophets in many different portions in many ways um and you know we and yeshua said look i i came from the father i'm a son and everything you you see me teaching i get from my father every see me doing i see my father do so like it's he's repeating this idea of like i'm trying to demonstrate the father's behavior to you and i'm teaching the doctrine of my father the teachings of my father for right behavior and so um again the straw man that's put up this false litmus test is that Matt's saying, I don't want to believe the testimony of anyone in the past or of anyone else, even in modernity that may have an experience with an angel or with any type of visitation or any type of supernatural concept. I want God to come talk to me by myself. It's, this one kind of falls into just being like, absolutely like kind of selfish, you know, almost like a little narc almost. Cause he's just saying, I want God to show up and tell me personally, I don't want to take someone else's word for it and therefore test those words by someone else to see if they be, you know, are, are they legit or not? It tells me not to murder people. tells me to obey my parents. It tells me not to worship idols and all the horrific things that goes along with that. And if, and if you do not have enough intellectual capacity to determine that those things being told to you that are claimed to be from the father through the prophets and say, is it good or not to teach you what's good and what's bad? Um, do we have a bigger problem than just, whether or not God's going to show up and talk to you specifically. So this is where, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's, there's easy ways to test these things. And what's so hypocritical to this argument that Matt is making is that in the same litmus that he's trying to hold for the creator of heaven and earth, for the God of the Bible to say, well, I'm not going to take other men's word for his rules on what right behavior is and how to avoid sin and how to live a good life. Um, because he's never shown up personally to me and told me this stuff yet at the same time, this guy will believe every dude in a white coat, every Neil deGrasse Tyson wannabe, every Lawrence Krauss spewing nonsense and make made-up stories about celestial evolution. No one can verify, prove, or demonstrate men's opinions and theories based off of predispositions and bias and no evidence. They'll, he'll believe that wholesale. Doesn't question it, right? Because he's an evolutionist. So there's a huge mental... Uh, hypocrisy happening. Just want to point that out. It's strange that I'm somehow responsible through inherited sin for the guilt of other people. But when I'm told, you know, hey, you've done things yourself that are against what God wants, you're, you're absolutely correct that I have done, in fact, many things that are against what some people tell me God wants. So if the, before we're looking at here is, does the gospel make sense? Let's look at it from a strategic standpoint. If you're God, what is your, your goal? I, I'll be interested to hear what Ray thinks God's actual goal is, but there's a couple of possible goals. If your goal is to get a bunch of people who agree with you and love you to spend eternity with you, 
why not just create them all with you to begin with? Why this tap dancing rigmarole of creating a bunch of people, having the vast majority of them or some sizable chunk of them be damned to hell after a life of suffering or misery or happiness or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if he, if uh, Matt was taught a version of Calvinism growing up um, or any type of predestination theology, but that's not like his whole premise right now, his bad argument is based off of, and this will fall into sophistry is based off of um, um, him basically just saying like, why doesn't God create a whole bunch of people that he can live with forever? Well, he did. He did. They're called angels, but even them, he gave the free will to obey him or not because he didn't create a bunch of robots. He wanted to create truly sentient beings that decide they want to be with him or not and have to come to their own decision. And through that whole process, you get to, he gets to exemplify his goodness, his mercy, his long suffering so that we can see he's not a tyrannical person. Right. And we see that all throughout the scriptures and the story of the Bible that introduces the God that he's struggling uh, to understand is that this whole concept of man was promised to be cared for, live a life, given a choice to obey or not, and then at the resurrection, they'll actually be made in greater authority than even the angels who were created before them. So the last becomes first. Through that, everyone's required to show their obedience to the Father, which is how they show their love for the Father, right? And then it's a choice they can actively make, but angels have, some angels decided they didn't want to make that choice, and they decided to sin, Second Peter 2, 4, Genesis 6. Um, this is, and also all of mankind has to make that choice. Do they want to uh, practice the behavior of the Father? Because that's what you're going to have in your heart when you get resurrected and live in his house forever. Or do you want to reject that, do your own thing, and have a much shorter experience in this creation? So it's the whole thing is kind of based upon this idea of free will. And it seems as if the underpinnings of his argument right here is more based on my predetermination uh, type of theology or philosophy that's not in Scripture they ended up getting out of it because this life is like what you're being judged on but it's not anything significant it's like it's like dirty rags according to scripture so why not just create the chosen people in heaven and leave everybody else out of it yeah that's a misquote the bible never says that this life is like dirty rags it's actually talking about people's false deeds in isaiah and how they claimed they were being righteous, but they were really not doing the ways of the Father. They're doing false deeds of wickedness. And he was saying their their behavior was like dirty rags. This life is actually considered a gift to to enjoy and to to walk around and experience the creation. Romans 1, 19 through through 20 talks about God's invisible nature and unseen qualities are are obvious and evident in what's been made, right? And so this is, yeah, it's a complete uh that that's just another example of Matt showing his ignorance of actual scripture. Uh, if the goal is to get some people, specifically the people who like you and who you like to spend eternity with you, that's the most efficient plan. Create those people in the location with you. What, what's a boneheaded way to do this? And that would be to create a universe, wait billions of years, create a man out of mud and a woman out of that man, tell them not to do something that you know they're going to do and then threaten them with death. And then when they do it, don't kill them, just make their life difficult. Then go through a comedy of errors of having people fall or fail to love you or listen. All right, so here's some more sophistry, and it's actually kind of an inserted insult that he put in, in this quick little breakdown trying to explain that, um, trying to trying to say, like, oh, here's what God, why would have God made a whole people then made them out of mud and then expect them to do some different things? I'm like, dude, you believe through evolution that you're made out of mud. Like, billions of years ago or millions of years ago on the earth in a gaseous environment that, 
you know, different things uh, started and abiogenesis and all this nonsense. Like you, you believe that you actually came from the foundational elements of the earth and then became a fish and a tadpole and a monkey and a, you know, quadruped or a biped, bipedal hominid and all this kind of nonsense. Like you believe that same thing. Like, why are you, why are you dogging Christians who believe that we're formed out of the dirt of the earth, which has water in it also. And then you were breathe a breath of life and made a sentient, mindful, intelligent creature. Why is that so hard to believe? You, you believe you come from a, a compounded mixture that's biogenically impossible. So it's, yeah, I don't even understand the contradiction there. It's crazy. And you or obey you over and over, flood the world, start over again, confuse their languages in order to try to start over again, encourage war, gradually go from walking and talking with them to not interacting in any detectable way, and then magically impregnate a young girl so that you can take human form as a sort of God man that's fully God, but fully man, which doesn't actually make sense, so that you can sacrifice yourself to yourself as a blood magic loophole for rules you're in charge of, so you can set aside your own anger, because that's the thing that we're being saved from, is God's wrath. All right, so yeah, there's definitely, yeah, there's two more in there. Um, he's definitely, I can't, okay, it's right here. He's definitely ramping up into his uh, traditional Dillahunty uh, prose. Um, but basically, it sounds like he's definitely been pushed a Trinitarian theology by people in the past, which also is contradictory. Uh, it's just that it's declared to be justice. Uh, and and then expect future generations to believe without sufficient evidence. I mean, God's interaction with the world vanishes in direct correlation to our ability to accurately investigate the world. So God's genius plan seems more nonsensical with each new dawn and each new discovery. The silence. No, it doesn't. In fact. My conversion personally, which he would say is not evidence for him, because remember, he wants God to show up in the room with him and start talking to him. Um, we've already seen that his heart, which aligns with uh, what we see in the, in the Gospels, when people were staring at the physical or expressed image of God in the flesh through his Son, and hearing the words of God expressed from the voice of Christ, the Son, and seeing the deeds of God done, and the instructions on how here's how you live, taught by the Son, people still looked him in the face and rejected him and said, no, no thanks. So why would, why would I take him seriously to think that, oh, if God actually showed up to him, he would believe too? No, that's not the way it works. Your heart, you know, your, your heart is already showing me indicators that you wouldn't believe at that point either way. But what I would say is my conversion, personally, when you talk about evidence, because he's trying to say, though, we have people in the modern day believe and they have less evidence in the past for people that supposedly wrote the Bible. And with each new generation, we have less and less reason to believe this. I mean, this is this is something that's trying to um, he's trying to be slick with uh, with with giving you a projection of saying there's no point of it now. And there'll definitely be less point in the future and that he can't take the, the testimony of the people in the past to be credible. So he's trying to discount all of it in one failed little monologue here. But. My conversion, personally, immediate evidence. I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. I didn't care about his words, the instructions that this guy denigrates that were written and passed down to us faithfully from people throughout time. But the moment that I in, engaged in giving my heart to Christ, I'm, that's a very loose way to describe it, but that's what happened. The moment that I decided I was going to trust him that I was gonna, I was gonna try to walk with God through Christ. Instantly, I wanted to read his, those words, and I couldn't get enough of them. And I wanted to do what's different. I wanted to change my behavior, instantly. So, and I, you know, I, I'm not gonna even talk about the, 
the feels, but yeah, there was some feels involved as well. But as far as evidence of change, so this is something where beforehand I had no desire to do any of that other stuff, just like he doesn't have a desire apparently to actually accurately learn the Bible to argue against it. But the moment that I became humbled in my heart and I decided I want to give it to God and I want to follow Christ, instantly I knew and felt a different motivation. That is evidence. That is change. That is quantifiable by my experience. That's called a testimony. I can testify. Just like evidentiary science, someone sees something, they observe something happening. They can testify to the change of the process, to observe so they can reproduce and replicate that process. Well, guess what? Billions of people have testified of the same replicated process in their hearts. By the very definition of the scientific method, that's valid, submissible evidence. But some people refuse it anyway. ...is deafening and the model doesn't make sense. Perhaps the goal might be to teach people that you have to go through and live life, the, the hard knocks lessons, uh, that way of actually learning and understanding. But which is a better way of teaching, a classroom with an actual instructor there to guide, or one where the students just show up with a list of things they believe that the teacher wants us to investigate? It'd be like saying, I really want a ham sandwich with Gouda cheese on a sweet Hawaiian roll, so I'm going to start by dumping a bunch of people in a grocery store and letting them just experiment. And early on, I might steer them a little bit, but I'm going to get increasingly less involved to the point where no one can even demonstrate that I'm still around or want any sort of meal at all. Yeah, he definitely um, spends a lot of time inside of his house, doesn't leave the country much, and uh, definitely doesn't ever look into the actual missionary journeys around the world, or even in this nation, uh, for him to assume that God's less involved over time and that you know things are dwindling down further and further. No, that's his algorithmically imposed mindset of watching a bunch of stuff on atheism and getting into his own little his own little circle of of influence that is all algorithmically um, orchestrated into a certain way of thinking. But if he actually got out and started going to ministries that are evangelizing, going on mission trips to other countries and seeing people respond to the gospel and seeing how lives are changing, you would see. And of course, if he, again, if he had the actual details of what's going on with the gospel, what's going on with Christ and his priesthood, you realize now Christ has the power of this sin, the Holy Spirit, and changed hearts of people like I just explained that happened to me. And he's doing that all the time. That's why people are accepting Christ all over the world all the time. It's a massive thing. So, yeah, he's clearly in a bubble. It's a bad plan. Just make the sandwich you want. You're a god. You can do whatever you like. This variety of proposed plans feels more like the flawed thinking of men. I thought he was arguing earlier he didn't like a god that could do whatever he liked. But now he's denigrating God for not wanting to eat a ham sandwich to just do whatever he liked. So even in his own little monologuing, his own little diatribing, he's inconsistent in his arguments because originally he was complaining that God could make everything and just do whatever he liked, but now he's saying, why won't God do whatever he liked? Why is he without these rules that we can't eat these certain things? I don't understand. Well, it's because he's consistent. He's not a hypocrite. <laughs> That's why those rules, quote-unquote the commandments, were called the ways, the moral behavior, the actions of the Creator. And that's why he asked, he's consistent morally, and he says, hey, these are good, these are my behaviors, these are what's produced life, and I want you to practice these as well. And less like the all-knowing product of a wise God. About a minute left. Uh, 
Ray mentioned Matthew 10, 17. I think you mean Matthew 19, 16, because that was in the notes for what I asked you. That's the, the passage. Mark, Mark 10, 17. Mark 10, 17. All right, Matthew 19, 16 is the one I was referencing, but we'll get into that. So that, that's it. Matt, you're the straw man king. That was amazing. I could write a book on everything you said there, but let's just pick up some of the things you said. Uh, one of them is that God didn't give any signs about the speed. Yes, he did. He's given you a conscience. He's written it with a, a pen of a diamond on your heart. Conscience is so powerful, it drives many men to drink and some to suicide. It's how, do you, how do you show that God gave me a conscience? Yes, sir. It's society shaped, but it's God given. How do, you, how do you know that? How can you show that? You, well, you can sit here all day long and tell me that my conscience is God given, but also my conscience does not clue me into the same things being wrong that yours does. That's exactly right. The Bible says you sear your conscience as with a hot iron. You know what seared steak is? Just on the outside, it's cooked, but on the inside, it's soft and tender if you cut it with a knife. If we cut your conscience with a knife today, the knife of God's law, would find out that it's written on your heart. You know it's wrong to steal, don't you? Um, I know that it's wrong to steal, but not because of a conscience or because it's written on my heart. You know it's wrong to lie, don't you? I don't know that it's always wrong to lie. I know that it's situationally wrong to lie. For example, if Anne Frank's up in my attic and the Nazis come knocking on my door to ask me if there's any... Uh... Atheists love the Anne Frank thing. <laughs> they love it, man. They love... They love the scenario of like, oh, would would you lie if Anne if you're protecting Anne Frank? I'm like, I personally I wouldn't lie. I would have already prepared my household to be able to protect her better than just than just waiting for the Nazis to show up. But if I am protecting someone and their vulnerability, I'm protecting the helpless, then I'm gonna be ready to die for Anne Frank. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to be <laughs> needing to lie to I mean, the the Nazis could just shoot you and walk in anyway after you lied. So all of it's a, a ridiculous little um little argument to me uh jews in my attic i'm going to lie and say no would you think would you agree that's a good thing yeah i agree the genesis says that the the, the midwives were um, smiled upon by god because they lied to pharaoh about their children that were being born because they didn't want to commit, uh, commit murder so I, i'd i'd hide Anne frank also so i'm with you there nope exodus one the midwives did not lie to pharaoh about the children being born they said the women were um, were strong and hardy, and they were already having the babies in the fields. And so there's a difference. It's it's a slow, it's a subtle nuance, but it's a difference. Now I'm not saying that people haven't lied in order to try to uh, escape some situ situational scenario. But then there's other examples in the Bible where people did lie, or did not lie, and God came through and saved the circumstance, not because they didn't lie, but because He was saving a righteous person that was about to be persecuted or killed unjustly. So there's, it just depends. I, I just, either way. Hey, have you ever used God's name in vain? Uh, how many, you want just today or this week or? Yeah, now, why would you do that? I don't know what God's name is because I don't know that there is a God. I've used the names of many gods over the years um, I'll, in in conversation in ways that you, other people might find uh, offensive. Would you use your, Matt, would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? Well, I don't use anybody's name as a cuss word. I'll use it in conjunction with a cuss word. Like, use the name of Jesus, ever use the name of Jesus as a cuss word? I've used it as an expletive. I don't know that it's. Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, how, how can so if I say Jesus Christ? Yeah. Um, what about that makes it cussing as opposed to praising? It's using it in vain, letting it run off your lips with no due honor. That's what yeah. it means to take it in vain. Yes. And Matt, no one 
would, would use his mother's name as a cuss word, that would be a horrible insult to her. And when you take God's name and use it as a cuss word, it's called blasphemy. You know it's wrong. It's written on your palm. Um, um, uh, yeah, okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a version of disrespect that can be referenced as blasphemy, but technically taking his name in vain is um, where you would take his authority, you submit to his authority, but then you do things against his authority, um, so you're, you're misrepresenting him. And in vain, you have decided to be in covenant with them when you're dis disobeying the covenant, basically. So um, it's not just always about saying, you know, letting his name roll off your tongue without honor, uh, because you technically do that if you're just explaining, if you're doing a dichotomy breakdown of different religions people would worship, you would, you would might mention Yahweh or Jesus Christ or things like that, you know, or Yahuwah, Yeshua, depends on how you say it. Um but doesn't mean that you're not saying it with dishonor. It just means you're not saying it in a sense of worship. Or I mean, it's it's a fine line. I, this is a, tri a classic Christian traditional interpretation of the third commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain. But technically, the Lord's name means His authority, His power over the covenant. Uh, that's what you enter into through faith and belief uh, in, into into covenant with Christ, uh, who's who's the, the high priest of the covenant. Um, so it, it, there's a fine line there. But unfortunately. Ray's arguing, a, a, in my opinion, Ray's arguing a silly point, and Matt responds with, you know, semantics of, oh, you know, expletive or cussing, they're kind of different, uh, was it matter, and, and, you know, hopefully they move on to a better point. I don't know it's wrong, I don't agree that it's wrong, and I don't know what, see, this is the thing, you keep making assertions about what I know, and they're wrong, and so, if I, how, how would you, how does it feel? If I tell you you know something and you're sitting there saying, wow, this guy really doesn't know me because he doesn't seem aware that I don't know the thing he's accusing me of. Yeah, well, here's my problem. I have an instruction book that is inspired by God that tells me all about you. God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how you many? by name. <laughs> I, I don't know. God knows. But let okay, me finish. So what I, let me how finish do you know that that's even true? Let me finish what I'm saying because okay. it's so important. He knows how many hairs upon your head. He knows the moment of your death. He sees every secret sin you've ever committed. And every time you sin, you store up his wrath. The instruction book for humanity, the Bible, tells me exactly what you know. That You know in your heart that God exists. The, the heavens declare his glory. When we broke from Britain, we didn't say, hey, we might be thinking of leaving. No, it was the declaration of independence. And Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. Every time you look at the heavens, you know God exists, but you deny him because of the moral responsibility. Now, that's that's what the instruction book tells me. That's how I say I can know because the instruction book tells me about him. Matt, well, you so, so what you're saying is you have a book that tells you something, so you can't possibly be wrong. And yet I'm looking at you telling you that you are in fact wrong about what I do or don't know. That's right. So Matt, you remember the prodigal son? Yes. Why did he go to a far country? Remember, he, he said, Dad, give me all my money. And the Bible says he went to a far country. Why do you think he went to a far country? I don't know, probably looking for change. No, he was wanting to get in with prostitutes. And I'm sure he didn't want to do what he wanted to do under his father's nose because he knew his father. What's, what's wrong with prostitutes? What's that? What's wrong with prostitutes? I didn't say anything was wrong with prostitutes. I said he went to a far country to get away from his father because he wanted to go and visit prostitutes. And he knew what he was doing wrong and his father would frown upon it. Wait a minute. <laughs> Did Ray just said, I didn't say anything was wrong with prostitutes. Did I hear that right? Let me back it up a little bit. 
prostitutes. And I'm sure he didn't want to do what he wanted to do under his father's nose because he knew his father. What's, what's wrong with prostitutes? What's that? What's wrong with prostitutes? I didn't say anything was wrong with prostitutes. I said he went to a... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah, that was a... I'm guessing a faux pas. I don't think Ray Comfort... Um, I don't think he uh, endorses prostitution. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I don't think I think he's just caught up trying to get this speech out, and that's that's an issue by itself. As far as a debate thing, he's not really. How do I say this? He's not. Um, this is if you've ever seen Ray Comfort's videos where he goes in the street and does a street does a street evangelism. Uh, he a lot of the stuff he's repeating from things he's said over the many years and and many hundreds of opportunities to talk to people in the street, and he has like these set little five, six sentences to, to build people into thinking why they need Christ. And he's using a lot of those set pieces right now in his discussion, and I don't think he was really thinking about what he just said. I don't think he endorses prostitution. Our country to get away from his father because he wanted to go and visit prostitutes, and he knew what he was doing wrong, and his father would frown upon it. But this is what evolution is. Oh, sorry, this is what atheism is. It's a far country. You want to get as far away from God as you can because... God demands moral responsibility. That's what my instruction book tells me. It says, you love darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil. Neither will you come to the light, lest your deeds be exposed. Atheism or atheists stay away from the gospel and hate the light for the same reason criminals hate the police. They'll call them pigs. They'll kill them, even not because of who they are, but because of what they stand for. And that, that conscience is on your heart and it's on my side. And when we go through the commandments to talk about adultery and lust, fornication and pornography we know in our heart we're morally wrong God's except life. except we don't first of all i don't know anything in my heart i know things in my head but i'm, I'm fine with the colloquial and the and the poetic okay um so first of all what the prodigal son story says is that he basically wanted he, he ran off to go live a wild life it doesn't say anything at all about prostitutes correct it's is there a single is there a single version of the bible that mentions prostitutes in that all story of all? all of them where the father came the son came to the older son came to his father and said your son went and visited prostitutes it's in the scripture. Uh, yeah but that doesn't okay the, so the story is that he left to go live a wild life prostitutes may be a part of that but you seem to portray that as his primary motivation i just yeah. wanted to know where it says that that was his actual motivation it yeah, seems to me like it seems to me like a a fairly fairly typical story of i don't want to live here on the farm I want to take my inheritance and go off to the big city and see what the rest of the world's like. Right. Okay. And you know what brought him to his senses? He began to desire pig food. And that's what you need to realize, that your desires are unclean in the eyes of God. All of us are. That's what brought me to Christ, where I realized I was burn, burning with unlawful sexual desire and that God, being holy, had seen my thought life and I was in big trouble on judgment then would justly end up in hell. That brought me to my senses. And that's what I'm hoping will happen to you today. You'll say, boy, if God is holy and perfect and he's seen my thought life, my sexual desires are unclean. All of us do. We drink iniquity like water. So we're like moths to a flame when it comes to pornography. I mean, when did you last look at pornography? Today. Yeah. And so you're addicted to it like every male. I'm not addicted to it. There's no such thing as porn addiction, but I'm definitely not addicted to it. But also, yeah. you haven't demonstrated that there's anything wrong. You come in with this package that begins with, like, the entirety of your, your opening is... Um, and you're right, it was Mark 10, 17, but I think you said Matthew 10, 17, and I was going with Matthew 19, 16, so that was the thing. I had them both in the notes there. Um, you talk about, hey, somebody came up and paid your fines for you, um, and, and that I'm the... All right, so Matt 
So instantly, Matt's trying to get away from the rhetoric. No offense to Ray, but that's that's what it sounds like. He sent, like I said, these preset little things he's used to saying through street evangelism. It sounds like rhetoric, these little builds to gotcha phrases, right? Like saying to, to, to Matt, when's the last time you send in this way or that way, right? Matt wants to bring it immediately back to uh, help me make sense of this concept that you're saying is the gospel. And he's going, and he mentioned Matt, he's got, he's apparently looking at a screen, he's reading Matthew 19, he's going to, I think he's going to bring it up. And then he's immediately going back to this idea of, you know, help me make sense of this whole overview of this gospel concept of the cross and everything it means and all that. Yeah, and the, and it's it's so funny. He he is already denying. Um, so my wife in the chat is saying there there are entire rehab facilities for people for porn addiction. That is a true addiction. Um, I watched this scenario or the documentary one time that talked about how like it's uh, it's like cocaine to the brain basically for men and for women, um, and that it can be very addictive for sure. So it's like you know, first step, first step is breaking out of your denial, Matt. But uh, either way. Unfortunately, Ray's arguments are very much his canned speeches that he gives for his street evangelism that are more, you know, pushing you into a corner to say why you should believe in Jesus versus truly addressing some of these uh, questions that Matt has. And I'll be honest with you, some of Matt's questions are are logical. I don't like the way he twists his misunderstanding of Scripture and then tries to, you know, be clever with it for, for getting in humor points. But uh, but this is what all atheists do. They try to they try to win the crowd with humor versus actual, you know, um, yeah. That's that's a very common tactic they try to do. And so, but even now he's trying to bring it back to this idea of just help me make sense of this whole thing. King of straw men. Yes. All right. God created the world, right? Yes. And did God know everything that would happen in this cool. world? He's omniscient. God knew that I would be an atheist. There's no such thing as an atheist, Matt. You know that. No, I don't know that. As a matter of fact, if all you're going to do, this is this is so bloody embarrassing, Ray, for you just to keep coming in and starting something. I genuinely do not believe that a God exists. Yeah, but you know you need total knowledge to be an atheist. That's what. No, God. you don't. No, I'm not asserting absolute certainty that there are no gods. Atheism is the position of not accepting that there is a God. That's it. Okay, mm -hmm. I don't accept that there's a God. Right. Did God, that, that's what I'm going to call atheist. I'm a non-believer. Did God know I was going to be a non-believer? He knows all about you, Matt. I, I, okay. Could God have created a different universe where things went differently, where, for example, I became... So this is what's interesting, because the part that I did see of this debate, which is apparently later, a few minutes later, Matt talks about how he used to be a Christian and try to get his friend or roommate or brother to, to believe that God exists, and he, and he felt like he failed and couldn't do it. And so this affected his journey, if you will. So right now he's asking Ray this, this ridiculous question of, well, if God knows all things, then he knew I was going to become an atheist. And I'm sitting there going, he also knew that at one point you were a self-professed Christian. But then you turned away from that because you have free will. So like he's ignoring stuff he's going to bring up later. And I just happened to have seen that clip from later. So um, just caught him in another contradiction. I'm the preacher that I set out to be. Yes. Okay. So if God created this world when where I end up an atheist, instead of the world where I end up a believer, then God made the choice that resulted in this particular universe over another one, correct? 
Yeah, but man, this is like yeah, a, but there's no but here. God made the choice like that resulted in this universe. No, I've just made an ironclad argument based on your own statements. It's yeah, based on your own statements that are coming up in a few minutes. Your ironclad argument is 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 more like a pasta pasta clad. It's easily breakable. <laughs> um, it's it's not ironclad because you just put you just you just made another uh, convenient straw man of a specific time in your life as opposed to the totality of your life. Um, yeah, it's really disingenuous. That God is the one that is ultimately responsible for choosing the universe in which I'm a non-believer as opposed to choosing the universe where I'm a believer. That means that the ultimate responsibility for that decision is not mine, but his. Oh, like, let me address that because you brought it up before in your first straw man. One of the first. If you stand in front of a judge in a court of law and you're guilty of committing a serious crime and you say, God maybe did it, God maybe do it, it's not my fault, it's God's, it's original sin. That's why I raped that woman, so it's God's fault. It's not going to hold water even in a civil court. Oh my, uh, that's not what I'm remotely saying. So, so, first of all, I don't recognize that there's some God that has authority over me. You're telling me I've broken God's law. I don't recognize that there is a God or, or that God's law can be broken. That's just the thing. I'm not saying, I'm not making a case that says, I, in fact, in reality, am not responsible for my actions. I'm saying that under your model, since God made the decision to create the universe in which I become a non-believer, as opposed to creating the universe in which I become a believer, God is the one that is responsible. He's, he's decided everything. Everything has happened according to God's plan. There is no free will in your model. So this is what's called a, like a, this is a setup, basically. So he's framing the question in a way to where God's created a universe where people are condemned instinctively or predestined to be condemned. And that's not what the scriptures describe, um, regardless of Calvinists and how they twist Romans chapter 9. That's not what scripture, everyone has a choice, everyone has the opportunity to either obey or disobey. You choose life or death, and he tells you the answer, he says, please choose life. He's given the choice before all men. So this is uh, the whole setup here to this question, which Ray, unfortunately, is falling right, he's just, he's just falling right for it, he's not even... Um, he doesn't realize what he's what he's fallen into, but but Matt's setup question is built upon a premise of predestination again, which is one of the things. That's why I suggested earlier. It sounds like a Trinitarian Calvinist <laughs> tried to um, tried to appeal to him in the past or something, or maybe he's debated a bunch of them, and that's his view of Christianity. Well, there is no individual responsibility in your model. The fact that you're choosing not to believe in God's existence. I don't choose. It's not a choice. Yeah, free will, Matt. We know that this is, it's, it, it's just ridiculous. So, okay, Matt, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but just simply making assertions and saying something's ridiculous is not an argument and it's not evidence. Okay, let me say something positive here and correct me if I'm wrong. An atheist is someone who believes the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. No, that, you're, you're wrong. That, none of that has anything to do with atheism. Atheism is, is a single issue. Are you convinced that a God exists? If the answer is yes, you're a theist. If the answer is no, you're an atheist. You can, you can be an atheist and believe all kinds of really silly stuff. You can, you can believe that you can deny science and think that vaccines cause autism. You, you can deny science and think that the... Oh, Lord. Yeah. Well, I'm, I wonder if he's going to also mention climate change, too. Because <laughs> he apparently thinks vaccines support... Uh, healthy reactions and uh, I mean there's literally on the on the government websites that track adverse reactions to the jabby jabby juices 
Autism is a huge factor in that, as well as other debilitated diseases and deaths. Yes, it's pharmacia. It's a, it's a, it's a pseudo-cocktail of untested concepts that the government absolutely pays to have put into our bodies. And uh, talk about ignoring the science. That's a, yeah, he's ignoring the science to even make that attempt at claim and insult, which we'll go ahead and add that to the list, shall we? The earth is flat. That You can do all of those things as an atheist. There, the atheism isn't a worldview. There's no, there, there are things that are, you know, if you don't believe in a God or if you don't believe in the supernatural, which is separate because some atheists could in fact believe in the supernatural. I don't. Uh, I don't see any mechanism by which we can demonstrate the supernatural is real. It, this is, how many years have we granted? It's been a number of years since the last time you and I interacted, but this isn't the first time. So you guys, anyone that's watched me for a long time that may understand what we talk about here, if anyone that watches our main channel, Kingdom of Contacts, and has possibly seen our, our 42 series where we talked about um, the how uh, we, we try to go into some unique concepts about the fabric of reality um, as far as from a material standpoint that physicists and scientists are trying to access and communicate on. Uh, we covered it in something called a video called The Cult of Saturn in our 42 series. Matt's coming from the premise that the supernatural is something that cannot be observed. Now, original definition is just something that's greater, has greater ability than the natural world. So what the Bible describes is the supernatural world, if you give it that loose definition, is actually above, in the creation model, the enclosed topographical plane that we live on, the enclosed firmament, enclosed topographical plane. So, but Matt's worldview and his understanding of these words, like supernatural, is coming from a more of a, a Gnostic, heliocentric-minded... Uh, by the way, heliocentrism is sun worship, it's built by a god, so same as evolution. That's what he professes. <laughs> so he says he doesn't believe in a god, but he, but he believes in their actual teachings. It's pretty, pretty interesting, huh? Um, so, that, so Matt's sitting here saying, well, I have no mechanism to test the supernatural. Well, that's if you define the supernatural as something outside of the material world. But that's not the way the supernatural word, according to its original use in ancient literature, was defined. It wasn't defined as something outside the material world. It has its own material, but it's made of spirit. It's a different type of material. It's a different type of chemistry, if you will, or biology. But it, it is made at the same time our material world was made, and it can supersede and exist and interact through us. And in fact, it is a part of that supernatural spiritual world is the power source in which the Creator animates all things in our material world, according to the ancient literature and the use of that word supernatural. So he's using a modern, vague, undefined, and, and very mystical version of the word supernatural for him to say he has no mechanism to find evidence that there is in a, in a correlation between the natural and the supernatural or anything like that. But yet, the, the ancient literature of people that would say, well, yes, we've seen the supernatural. Same with people in the modernity of other countries have seen supernatural things. There's reports of angels all over the place. There's reports of people having visitations of angels and, and manifestations of Jesus Christ and coming to Christ and faith in Him all over the world. Clearly, like I said, he's in an algorithmic bubble. He doesn't get exposure to that kind of stuff because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to search for that stuff and test those claims and see if it, see if there ever is moments of the supernatural interacting with the natural and what that actually meant throughout all of history, not just the last 10, 15 years, as these words have been redefined into this more mystical world that I can't 
access because I don't have the flash to come open up a, a time portal for me because he runs so fast. You see what I'm saying? So like it's there's a there's a faulty premise built upon his um, you know a whole bunch of different modern things in the modern modernity as far as how teachings from philosophy melded into heliocentrism, evolution, science, quote unquote science, so falsely called, uh, to where now they have this mindset that the material world is all there is, and there's no way to even test if there's something other than the material world, because he thinks he lives on a hopeless, doomed ball in space in a material world that is uh, a, a prison planet that he can't leave, basically, because, you know... Um, Anyway, it's a long story. I'm trying to I'm trying to be brief about it, but a point apparently, um, he's using a very different definition of supernatural, which is why he can make a statement that there's no mechanism by which he could test the supernatural. I'm like, that's just absolutely false. Uh, science has been science as far as people that in, that have been um, literally the the people that have encouraged him to believe this atheistic mindset do not agree with his mindset, and they do worship something they call a god. And in their testing of the creation they live in, the material world, they've actually, in abundance for decades, have talked about there's something else in this material world. Now, over time, they just, through frustration, started calling it dark matter. But there's there's a fabric of reality. The you know 120 years ago, they used to call it the ether. Then that became unpopular when Einstein came around. There's a whole history to the to the progression of this idea and how it's changed and its terminology has been changed, and some of it's been obfuscated and absconded, uh, literally to try to be kidnapped, withheld, and redefined to the public so that people don't think about this stuff anymore because they want people thinking they're on a doomed rock floating through a void in a very materialistic and godless world. That is the intentional programming from the sun worshipers. They truly, that's what they truly believe and want people to believe, uh, excuse me, the sun, they truly believe in sun worship according to ancient, Egyptian theology, and they want to teach people a lie that you're in a materialistic, godless world. That is their intent, so they can dumb down the society and then come and control them later with something called panspermia, which is something they've also been pushing into the culture and talking about at great depth. So, unfortunately, our unwitting victim here with Matt Dillahunty thinking, I haven't heard a good explanation of Christ, and all I am hearing is this deception from the other people that, that are the world teaching me that they know better, they have science, and he swallows that wholeheartedly because that's the nature of deception. Um, meanwhile, he's not heard a good breakdown or explanation of the actual gospel or the Bible or the details involved, and so he's working with a half-deck over there and, and can't understand it and ends up just turning into mockery versus him swallowing wholeheartedly everything else the world tells him about what they think they want him to know. And so... It's very sad that at the end of all this, he's convinced himself through the programming, the deception of the world, he's convinced himself, I have no mechanism which I could actually test the supernatural because all I have is natural. So it's a, it's a, um, an, an imprisoned mindset, right? Where he's thinking like, oh, well, I'll never accept any evidence because I don't believe there ever could be a way to figure out any evidence. So even now he's being inconsistent with what he said originally when he was like, well, I can't accept any instructions from people that's been passed down from supposedly God. I need God to show up and tell me himself. How would he test if that was really God? He just said there's no way to test the supernatural in this material world. So here's just another point of contradiction by Matt. Somebody's explained to you how I use the term atheist. I know because I've done it before myself. So why are you coming back to me to say that 
here's what atheist means. When you know damn well from all the past conversations we've had what I mean by it. Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, P.C. Myers, and seven other leading atheists are not in this room and would agree with me. Let me finish. They believe, and I have quotes in a, a video online called Crazy Bible, in which Dawkins, Krauss, P.C. Myers, and other well-known leading atheists believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. Not that nothing was in the beginning. They believe nothing was the prime mover. Is that what you believe? No. So what do you believe created everything? I don't have an answer for what or if anything was created. I have no problem with the notion that the universe existed forever in some form, but none of those, why, I, I, this has nothing to do with atheism. That's not the Well, it kind of does, Matt. If you, if you think that all this just always existed no, and it was never ever made, and he believes in evolution, well, where do you draw the line where you stop believing in evolution? Because the most modern form of evolution teaches that universe was big banged into existence 13.8 billion years ago. So basically he's saying he, I mean, he's saying he believes the narrative um, of evolution to a point, but then he's like, I guess I don't believe that past that point. As, but apparently I guess what I'm getting from this is he's saying, I'll take some evolution, but no matter what the book of the Bible says, I don't want to take any of that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a half cocked and not fully, not fully fleshed out belief set. So, and apparently he's he definitely does not like being compared to other well known atheists. He he thinks he's thinks he's different somehow. Definition of atheism. That's not the usage of atheism. Atheism doesn't tell you anything about what someone believes about the origin of the universe. Atheism addresses what someone does or does not believe about a god. Not true. You watch Crazy Bible, it's had over a million views, and it gives the definition of atheism. It says these guys believe nothing created everything, and they say what was in the beginning. They, yeah. they, they say yeah. what they believe was in the beginning. There was nothing, and the nothing created everything. Atheism well, good luck getting a debate with them, but today you're here with me. So can we address what my position is, or are you just going to keep strawmanning me with what other people have said? Well, Lawrence Krauss won't debate me. He gave me four questions when we met together. I wasn't allowed to ask any more because he's yeah. afraid. Dawkins. It's what? Dawkins won't debate me. Of course not. Why should he? Why should anybody? If well, all you, you, you so you first of all, you, no, no, nobody, nobody should be debating you because you flatly said in the last attempt at a debate we had that you don't care about debate and you don't care about proof. And in this, in, in this discussion, your entire position is predicated on an assertion that there is a God who is a judge of the world. And then let's let, let's take a look and make see if the Bible makes sense if we begin with that presupposition. But you cannot look at it, you will not, you refuse to look at it, as if we don't begin with that presupposition. You've provided zero evidence. All you've done is make one assertion after another after another, right out to- Okay, well, Matt, let's think about this logically, brother. Why would he want to debate you on the initial assertion that God didn't create all things, when that's clearly his stance in this discussion? Like, so, I mean, and I just don't understand this. I mean, you knew who you were stepping into the room with. Like, just, you're, you're offended because he's mentioning other well-known atheists and saying they won't debate him. But you, you literally agreed to walk into this debate knowing what Ray believes and his stance in this thing. So why wouldn't you, why are you trying to get him to debate from a different premise? 
Like that's, it's different. Just make your points and understand the premise he's coming from and see if you can either find middle ground or convince him otherwise. But it's just, this is just, uh, you know, that's absolute sophistry. It's just silly, silliness. Telling me I'm wrong about what atheism is. How monumentally arrogant is that? Hey, Ray, you're wrong about what Christian is. That doesn't worry me at all. Yeah, I mean, technically, if you've got all the atheists out there in agreement, which most of them are, they're in agreement with the general premise that atheism means they're against their belief in a god. Matt has already acknowledged he doesn't believe in, there's no creator, there's no god who created all things. He definitely doesn't believe in the god of the Bible, and he claims he doesn't believe in gods of other religions either, so therefore, by definition, he's atheistic. So I, I don't know exactly what he's arguing at this point. Secure my beliefs. You can say I, what you want. I know you are. You know, I get angry. But but the, but but, but it's not it's not about whether or not you're secure because you said something that you said. If you 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 believe I'm in terrible danger and that yes. if you convince me you're doing me a favor, however, that's not true, because if you're wrong and you convince me, then you did not do me a favor. That's right. So, so the whole issue here is whether or not you're right. How do we know whether or not you're right? All you've got to do is obey the gospel. As I said before, if you repent, you know, Matt, I've got a very difficult task because the hardest people to reach are those who are vaccinated against the truth. That's what happened. You, you had a false conversion, like millions of others. You went to church, gave your heart to Jesus. You didn't truly repent. And in a time of trial, tribulation, temptation, persecution, you fell away like millions of others has, have. And the Bible says... Your latter end is worse than the first. Thank you for proving you don't know me at all. I guess I do, Matt. I've heard you share you, your testimony. You don't, because the caricature that you just did, I didn't have trials and tribulations that led me away. Not once. <laughs> not not remotely. So did you know the Lord or not? Um, so here's the thing. No, but I don't believe that anybody knows the Lord. That's the thing. Well, when people say, when people say, oh, Matt, you weren't a true Christian. If they mean that I did not have an actual relationship with the risen Christ, then they're correct. But I don't believe that anybody does. But if they, if they, what they mean is that I did not sincerely believe that was the case, then they are wrong. And no. because I sincerely did believe that was the case. And so did everybody who surrounded me, including my parents who thought I was going to be a million, including people from my former church who came to a debate that I did with Mike Lacona specifically to say, Hey, I was a deacon at your church. I knew you, I knew you loved the Lord. What happened? So you can you can sit here all day. I'd love to hear the answer. I mean, he's just given a hypothetical, but I'd love to hear the answer uh, to what if his deacon really asked him that. What what happened, Matt? I wonder if he's going to tell us. Let's listen. Long and do the Matt was never a true Christian because I don't care. None of that goes to show whether or not you're right. It just keeps showing how how right you think you are, which is absolutely obnoxious. Matt, you just judged every single Christian on this earth and says they don't said they don't know the Lord. I know the Lord. Millions of Christians do. You didn't know the Lord. You I didn't say that. I said I do not believe that. All right. So this is what I don't like about Ray Comfort's stance here. He's saying you were you had a false conversion and you didn't know the Lord. And Matt's sitting here going, well, I, I went to church. I, I thought I did. Like, And so, again, it's almost as if Ray Comfort himself is coming from like a... <sighs> 
it's a little overly judgmental, but it's almost like a predestinational. But uh, he's, but it, clearly he's trying to win him to convert. So he, it's not truly predestinational or Calvinistic. Um, it's just weird. It's just a weird. It's just an unproductive debate stance to be like, well, you had a false conversion. You weren't really saved. And you're like, bro, that doesn't help anybody. But it could be because of the specific doctrine that Ray teaches or believes, which is some of them completely ignore the idea that people can fall away from the faith. I mean, they they think that they were never saved to begin with. They were just wasting their time. Like, you know, that I don't know if Ray fully believes this, but it sounds like that's what he believes. But people that believe, you know, oh well, Judas of Iscariot, who betrayed Christ, yeah, he was it was never fully had a chance. Like he was just always doomed. Or, you know, um, I think there's a, ver- a, a passage in Jude, or maybe it's in Timothy, talks about those who, who fell away from us or never really part of us. And people assumed, oh, they had false conversions or they were acting like Christians and never really met the Lord, never really had a genuine conversion moment. But Paul was also talking in great depth. If, the, if I can't remember the exact verse. You guys in the live chat are welcome to put it in the live chat if you remember it. But um, in that same chapter, in that same context, talking about people that were... Um, not that they were truly trying to be there, but they were they were they were there for different reasons anyway. They didn't there just to be a disciple of Christ, so they were never really among them and of them anyway because they weren't they weren't trying to be Christians. Um, all I'm trying to say is it, it's not a very effective tactic, Ray. I'm really kind of surprised he's going this route because clearly he's seeing that Matt is not responding, and maybe this is why Ray said he's not he doesn't like debates because he's clearly not he's not good at at just saying, okay, well, my traditional approach isn't working and Matt's giving me information to work with. Maybe I need to adjust a little bit. He's not adjusting. He just keeps going with this street evangelism of, you're a sinner. You need Christ. Give your heart to Christ. Obey the gospel. And you're like, man, I appreciate your fortitude and I love your alpha spirit. But at the same time, like, it's not working with this guy. He's not, I mean, you, you literally quoted, God knows the number of hairs in your head to a bald man. Like, Take a minute, read the room, and let's look at what who you're talking to here. Um, you might be more effective. So it's kind of unfortunate to see. It's like they're. It's like Ray's not really grasping what's happening here. He's just stuck in preset speech mode. I'm open to being convinced. I didn't say you don't have a relationship with Christ. I said I'm not convinced that you do, and okay, you need well, to do well, some okay. convincing work that doesn't just involve claiming that I'm wrong, misrepresenting my life, making assertions about what I know when I don't know it. It's obnoxious. Okay. The Christian, according to Scripture, is someone who knows the Lord. That's what the Bible says. It's the book of Hebrews. When someone's born again, they come to know God. You didn't. You were deceived. You did what Judas did. You followed Jesus for a few years, and you fell away in time. Do it again. Do it properly. This time, truly repent. And what you, when you put your hand to the plow, you won't look back because God will make you fit for the kingdom. You know, evolution- so you're saying that there's nobody in the history of the world who's ever sincerely believed who is now an atheist. I don't know why you're bringing the word sincere. Sincere doesn't matter. You can be sincerely on a plane heading for New York, but if you're heading for Hawaii, you're in the wrong direction. Sincerely believing, sincerely believing that they have a relationship with Christ is what I'm talking about. Yeah, they may be wrong. Oh, mm-hmm. well, like now you've just set up a scenario where you can't be wrong. Congrats. So it'd be, the, in my understanding, I've seen this a lot where people are sitting there and go, oh, well, because, you, because you're now an atheist, you never, you had a false conversion or you never truly believed or um, they'll, sometimes, you know, they'll even go 
to extremes and be like, you know, um, well, you're, you're possessed by the devil and you didn't actually can give your heart to Christ or something like that. But really, it's it's whether or not Ray, and I'm hearing more of this, he just hasn't specifically said the words, but I'm hearing it come out in his argument. It seems as if Ray believes this idea of um, once saved, always saved. He's not defining salvation as the resurrection. He's defining salvation as just the moment of conversion and giving lip service to belief in Christ versus the process of sanctification, which is discipleship and changing your behavior over time. Um, because Matt's in here saying, I was trying. But again, if Matt was in a church where he was not getting any good answers and they just kept telling him to believe in the blood of Christ, and then, and then you'll be okay. And Matt's struggling with serious questions about the faith and why why do we believe this stuff? And he's not getting good answers. Well, he may have genuinely, sincerely given it a try, but then left because he didn't feel like he was getting good answers. I hope he explains a little bit more and hoping that you know Ray can get off of the whole, well, you just need to believe the gospel and 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 never leave it. And you're like, some people actually need to think through the details, and this is a problem that you have with a lot of ministers in a lot of churches. They get into rhetoric speech, into preaching mode, and they don't they forget the teaching mode. They forget the idea of, hey, hey, some people need to know the details. That means you need to teach them the details. That means, oh, pastor, you need to know the details. See how that works? Congratulations. Like happened to you. No, no, no. You don't get, no, no, Ray. I swear to the God that you believe in, if you make one more accusations about what happened to me that just isn't true, we're just done. Okay. I don't care about the rest of this discussion. Just stop asserting that you know my brain better than I do, because you're wrong. And you're going to, you look incredibly foolish doing this. Okay. Let's change the subject a little bit. Okay. Calm down, Matt. Evolutionary charts, you know, nope. the bent over guy who's slowly straightening up, walking to the right. Familiar with that? Am I familiar with it? Why are we talking about evolution? The issue here is whether or not the gospel makes sense. Well, this will make the gospel make sense when you realize the foundation you build upon is erroneous. Just uh, explain to me what I've got. The foundation that what's built upon is erroneous. Evolution. All right. I, I'm the whole point here. Wow. I, you just you just caused me to lose a bet. I'm pretty sure mm. because the whole point here was discuss the gospel, and they're like, nope. Ray's just going to show up parading his ignorance about evolution that he's been corrected on a million times. And I, I, I argued on your behalf. And I said, hey, that's not fair. Because the fact that you think Ray has been corrected doesn't mean that Ray thinks Ray has been corrected. All, all In Ray's mind, all that's happened is that you've told him that he's wrong and he just doesn't accept it. Now, if we're going to talk about whether or not the gospel message is sensible, it'd be nice to address the, the, the position that I took and address the position that you took. You guys, you guys, seeing how incomplete doctrine um, is a, is a is a legit problem, and seeing how this PSA concept that that doesn't explain anything is just built around mantras and bumper sticker phrases that doesn't give people practical details. Matt, I don't know Matt's life. I don't know if he does this full time or if he had a job before this, but he could be of a certain type of brain. I call it engineer brain, and it's a certain type of a brain where they need the details before they can undersee the full picture of the house. They need to look at the blueprints. They need to look at the schematics. They need to walk around the house and see it from all angles. They need to know what kind of building materials it was made with. They have engineer brain and they, they struggle to grasp the fullness of it and enjoy the knowledge of it until they actually have the fullness. This is why we're told 
in First Timothy chapter uh, four, I believe. Uh, yeah, ch- no, chapter three. We're, we're talking, you know, about deacons and elders and how they're supposed to be uh, knowing the actual truths of the doctrines of, of the faith. And after being tested, then they're in, in you know, um, given that position of, of uh, a deacon, and they can serve the people because they actually know the true doctrines of the faith. It's an important concept. And I think some translations will say the mystery of the faith, but if you dig deeper in the Greek, it's 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 not mysteries in like the unknowables, but it's the it's the actual truths of the faiths that are listed out of the doctrines and the fullness thereof. And this was the job of the deacons that are supposed to know the details. It's for people like Matt that come up to him. He even said the deacon of his church come up to him and said, you know, you've been in church, what's going on? Or maybe he said the deacon didn't did do that and he wished that he had. But either way, like that's that's the point of why it's in the book. That's the point of why it's important to know the full story. Because you're seeing men like Matt didn't get the full story, got frustrated, walked away. And now look, he's out here evangelizing doubt. So this is this is how the enemy can use this type of bad uh, training in righteousness. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's important. All of it's important. But if you're just going to try and prop up this, I, I, I'm an, do you think that my acceptance of the model of evolution is why I'm an atheist? I think it's your foundation. You're wrong. See, you should really, I pretend to read minds on stage, and I'm actually pretty good at it. You should never pretend to read minds on stage or at all because you're bad at it. My, my acceptance of evolution is in no way foundational to my not believing that a God exists. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand that. They're two different issues. Well, you just said the opposite. Well, don't you believe evolution? Am I wrong? I, I Do I believe evolution? I accept that evolutionary evolution by means of natural selections is the best current scientific explanation for the diversity of life. Yes. So and without evidence, he swallowed that acceptance wholesale. And that's why if you truly start digging into evolution, you see how much theory is involved in it. And it's, um, yeah, he's still exhibiting religious belief. He just doesn't want to call it that. Yes. But that's not why. See, do, do you not realize that I could I could have believed something and it didn't impact whether or not I believed something else, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Someone doesn't want to believe in God's existence. No, this isn't about doesn't want to believe. You, you call me the king of straw men. I have not, you have not actually done a single sentence out of your mouth that even remotely attempts to steal man what I'm saying. Every time you try to caricature what I'm saying, you come up with a straw man. It's not about what I wanted to believe. Now, I know it sounds like he's insulting right here, but he's actually being factual. Ray's not been a good listener during this discussion, and he's not trying to understand where Matt's coming from. He just keeps assuming and lumping Matt into Ray's past experiences with other atheists. And uh, Matt's using this as a, he's using that as a springboard to put Ray back on his heels and to try to dominate the debate. I'm just trying to give you like a bird's eye view of what I'm seeing here as an interaction between the two to, to pull our, our minds out of the minutia of what they're arguing and realize the dynamics of what's actually happening right now in this debate. And so this is why Ray's, it's, it's not a good look for Ray because he's, he has been doing that. He has not been properly trying to understand Matt's position as Matt as an individual person, and he's just come to this discussion assuming all these other things because Matt is an atheist and an evolutionary believer and he lumps him into all the mothers. But 
hopefully they can get past this quickly. And I mean, we got about 15 minutes left. And so hopefully we can get past this quickly and get to, get to some more points possibly, as opposed to just Matt being, you know, indignant because he's not being represented properly or that Ray, he does, Ray doesn't understand him the way he wants to be understood. It's like cry me a river, dude, move on. Belief isn't a choice. I didn't set out to do this. I set out to be the best Christian I could be. I set out to actually demonstrate to my godless roommate that God was real. That was the goal. I can't disagree with you. You know why? Because you're going to get angry and stop this debate. You're just going to walk off. I'm not. I don't know what you mean. I'm not remotely angry. I can't challenge you with anything because you get upset. You get angry. I'm not angry. I'm. I'm. I'm trying to get you to actually make a, an, an argument based in evidence and stop just claiming that you know what's going on in my head. You you don't. Go through the gospel again and see if it makes sense to you. Because I explain why it doesn't make sense. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. I'm sure you know that scripture. I, I know it very well, but that doesn't mean it's true. The fact that you can point. All right. Well. All right, Ray. Why is it foolishness, though? Like, I get it. Now you're, yeah. But why is it foolishness? Yeah, we went over the details in the first five minutes of this discussion, this video tonight. So I'll let you, if you just joined, I'll let you rewind and watch the first five minutes. But it's foolishness because he's not getting the details he needs. Um, and if he decides with his stubborn heart after he gets the details to reject Christ, okay, maybe it's a more accurate statement. But he's already... It given you all kinds of material to work with uh, to dig into why he has he doesn't understand the gospel as you presented it, Ray, and why it doesn't make sense to him because it's the same traditional modern Christian version that we've all heard in the last 30, 40 years that assumes a whole bunch of things and broad strokes and big bumper sticker phrases and doesn't get into the, the actual details of the applications of what Christ does for us for atonement and then eternal life. And so... Um, yeah. And again, that's that same approach, Ray's, Ray's keeping that same energy, just being like, oh, uh, you know, you're perishing, you're dying, you're, you're, you're a dead man walking, you're without faith. You reject the God of the Bible and you reject the Creator, and so therefore I could try to explain the gospel again to you, but it's foolishness because you have pride in your heart. And I'm like, okay, yes, he does have pride, but this is why there's more. there's a ton of details you're not explaining to him that he's clearly asking for. This is where my heart breaks for this situation, right? Um, yeah, man, this is tough, tough to watch. Point to a scripture and interpret it in a way that makes it look like all, all you just said is Matt refuses to believe. That's not true. I'm asking for evidence. I've never said Matt refuses to believe. Creation is proof of a creator. Every building has a builder. Every painting has a painter. The heavens declare the glory of God. And every universe has a universer. Yeah, every every universe has a creator. No, every you universe has a universer. You don't get to call it a creation. You have to demonstrate that it's a creation. You don't have to demonstrate anything. I don't have yes. to demonstrate to you that a building has a builder. It's axiomatic. You have to demonstrate that the building is a building and not just something that appears to be a building. What are you talking about? Yeah, okay, Matt, but once he does that, then you understand that someone designed and built the building. So you walk this earth, you dig in the dirt, you breathe the air, you sail in a boat on the water, you see how buoyancy works, you see how the birds fly with Bernoulli's principle of lift and drag. You get it. You see and experience this world. 
and you still think it hasn't been proven to you that it was created, you see it work harmoniously with hundreds of thousands of species in an ecological system, which you actively participate in every day, even to the point of ingesting some of those species into your body and to keep you alive. And you think none of this, this entire ecological system that you exist in, that you experience and breathe and feel on your face, you, you don't think none of that is, is evidentiary that you live in a real tangible place to then cause you to ask, how did this all come to be, this design the way it is? Because you don't see that evidentiary um, ideas in evolution. I mean, you, it's impossible. Entropy doesn't work like that. It's impossible. So it's interesting to me that this is just a, this is a bad argument here. Um, yeah, this is definitely some more sophistry. If I, if I, there's a creek out behind my house and it, and there's, I go out after a, a couple of weeks of not tending to it and it's blocked up by a bunch of sticks in mud. Is that a beaver dam or is that as a result of a natural clogging of sticks and flooding? It's a result of uh, natural clogging. How do you know? How do you know it's not a beaver dam? Okay, so let's go back to the building. Hey, thank you, Travis Williams, for the super chat. He's asking, why do the heathens rage and imagine a vain thing? Yep. Thank you, brother, for that super chat. I really appreciate you. Building. The building is evidence of a builder. The painting is evidence of a painter. And it's impossible scientifically for nature to create itself because it would have had to be pre-existent to create itself before it created itself. And the other thought to you earlier on says the universe yeah. could be eternal. That violates the second law of thermodynamics. Everything okay, no, it doesn't. Because Okay, so Ray, first of all, second law of thermodynamics only applies to a closed system. So just, I mean, you should just stop with that. Stop pretending that you understand physics at all. But I... Yeah, you're in a closed system. Even not only does the Bible teach that, but even people that don't believe in the firmament and closed system um, teach the same thing from a scientific perspective with the idea of the pressurized atmosphere, which they think is, is happens by gravity, but that's, that's inconsequential. But yes, the, even, even uh, Bill Nye, the non-scientific guy, even he, he admits that we live in a closed system. Um, it's, it's how it's described the, the genetic makeup of not the genetic, but the, uh, the um, uh, environmental and, and physical makeup of the atmosphere and the ground and everything involved, they call it a closed system. So even, even in your model, you're not representing your evolutionary model properly. So he's just, this is more attempts at, at trying to undermine through semantics. But, um, and yes, entropy does not allow for information to be added to things that grow through mutation. Mutation is a loss of information. You do not have things that get mutated and they get better and more advanced and more complicated with irreducible complexities and certain important critical functions within their RNA and DNA and their eyeballs and their eye sockets and their eardrums and like all different things in the body that just not in, not only in mankind, but in all different animals that we've studied and observed, entropy does not tend towards complexity being added with new information. It's a stripping of, of uh, existing information through deformity through mutation. So again, this is where evolutionists classically over the years have redefined some of these terms to lend towards their belief set and, uh, and this idea of um, ever progressive evolution, when ultimately, 
um, observable science does not allow for what they claim is happening. I asked about a bunch of sticks blocking up a, 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 a creek. How do you determine whether or not it's a beaver dam or just a natural occurrence? You tell me. You tell me. So you're not going to answer. No, how could you, I? You, you said it was just a natural occurrence, and I want to know how you determined it. Uh, by the way, beavers very clearly have a distinctive way they build dams, so it's very easily distinguishable from a natural occurrence of sticks and logs, you know, you know collecting and, uh, and bunching up around the bend of a river versus a beaver, a beaver building a, a very systematic way that they build. So, yeah. It wasn't a beaver dam. Well, your analogy is that every building is just a natural occurrence. It doesn't have a building. No, my, wow, you can't understand. So, okay, so my analogy is not that every building is a natural occurrence. My analogy is that here is a structure, and we need to determine whether it was the result of an intentional design and effort or whether it occurred naturally. That's how we recognize design. We don't, not by complexity, but we recognize that, we, we compare that which was so now he's just arguing to be argumentative because he's literally just redefining what Ray said in one single sentence. He's trying to sound smart and how he redefines it. But yes, he's like Ray said, his argument was, how do we know a building was actually a natural object come naturally? Or was it, did it have intentional design? Did it happen naturally through an evolutionary process or did it happen through intentional design? Everyone in their right mind would say, no, it did not happen through a natural evolutionary process. A building with multiple levels and floors and corners and cement leveled off and different, you know, wiring and, and lights and everything involved was done intentionally with architecture and engineering, with intentionality and forethought and planning. So now he's just, uh, this is just more sophistry. Designed, which we have evidence for, with that which occurs naturally. And so if we, if we look at the sticks and we investigate and we see you know, padding symbols from a tail and claws and a, and a structure inside of it that it homes, we can begin to infer, even without the presence of an actual beaver, that this is more likely a beaver dam. And through more investigation, we can demonstrate that it is, in fact, a beaver dam. We can look at the way the, the sticks are chewed and everything else. Plus, we can see beavers at some point. That's how you tell the difference between two things that look similar. So if I have a rock that is from the right angle, looks like a person's face or profile and one that uh, and another one that looks like somebody's profile how do i tell which one's a sculpture and which one is just natural use your brain well use your brain is not a particularly robust response to that because use your brain how uh it's called common sense Matt. no it's, it's not called common sense, sense. Okay. that is science is not common sense and investigation is not common sense this is this is the thing if you can't just go use your common sense your common sense needs to be trained and it needs to be trained by good information good models good evidence good heuristics it's not just something that happens that's what's wrong is that your common sense has been mistrained and it begins by assuming that there must be a God, that or, therefore that God is judge, and you are going to be guilty under that God. I never assumed anything. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I intuitively knew there was a creator because I saw creation. I, I knew God demanded moral responsibility. I repented of my sins and came to know the Lord. And I've known the Lord for 48 years. I've known him closer than I know my own wife. So when you say there's no evidence of God's existence, when you say, I, I can't believe in, I don't believe in God because there's no evidence, 
all you need to do is obey the gospel. That's the that's the what I throw down in front of you, the gauntlet. Just repent of your sins. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I appreciate the heart that Ray has. Don't get me wrong. I just he's definitely not prepared or possibly built for debate. Yeah. And that he's he did not come prepared. Whether I don't know if you studied who Matt Dillahunty is and and the sophistry that he uses and the rhetoric and and he's a sharp guy. Uh, we've actually reviewed some of his his claims on a previous video many years ago. Um, he did not come prepared, so these are these are not very good arguments from Ray. But this is close to being done. Confess and forsake them. Say I blew it the first time. Lord God, please forgive my sins. Wash me clean. And God promises to reveal himself to you. You remember the Ephesians, he'll, he'll open the eyes of your understanding, take you out of darkness. And so if I've done that before and it didn't take, what, why not? Because you didn't truly repent, obviously. Oh, so once again, you're going to pretend. See, your, your entire model is that you cannot be wrong. So when I say, hey, I did that, I repented. I, you know, and I was convinced that God saved me. I felt what I thought was the Holy Spirit. I, 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 and for years and years and years. But now you, you're going to say that because I have fallen away, it must not have been true. Obviously. Okay, obviously. Well, that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is where common sense gets you. Um, unfortunately, I don't base things on common sense as much as evidence. Because common sense can be wrong about a lot of things. Yeah, that's completely just a, a false appeal to authority, which he, he, like I said before, he believes, if he believes in evolution and you truly start studying evolution and the lack of evidence there actually is, you realize that he's just, he's just talking contradictorily at this point. Cause for him to make this claim, I don't believe like that with common sense. I believe based on evidence. Okay. Well, if you, if that's what you believe, you should not believe in evolution. You should believe in that someone with purpose designed you and everything that you see in the reality that you live in. Well, you're familiar with the parable of the sower, aren't you? Yes. Remember the stony ground hearer receives the word with joy, and when a time of tribulation, temptation, persecution comes, he falls away for the word's sake. And so... Okay, awesome, Ray. I appreciate your heart, but the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, is he who hears the word of the kingdom, and then it lists off the four different scenarios. He who hears the word of the kingdom... Not just that Jesus goes to the cross. The word of the kingdom, like we talked about at the opening of this, it's more details, more to the story than Jesus, just Jesus dying on the cross. That's a super awesome part of the story, and we all have heard it, and I believe it wholeheartedly, and I thank my Messiah for going to the cross for me so that he could become a high priest and fulfill the covenant and, give, and you have the authority and the power to forgive my sins and raise me to eternal life. I praise him for that. That's awesome. But the cross by itself is not what's being referenced in Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower. So again, bad definitions of the gospel, bad definitions on both sides, so that now he's misapplying the parable of the sower to someone like Matt, who may not have been someone that uh, whose, whose faith fell on rocky ground and he ends up leaving because he had the actual fullness of the gospel of the kingdom which is what's being referenced in Matthew 13. So, sorry if I seem a little passionate, guys, but I'm just, it really breaks my heart that, you know, pastors who've been with the Lord for 48 years, you know, it's like, bro, are you reading your Bible that whole time? Or are you just memorizing little catchphrases so that you can, you can street evangelize? I don't, it's frustrating. 
when Jesus is speaking of true and false conversion, he's saying the church is full of goats among the sheep, foolish virgins among the wise, bad fish among the good, and they're going to be sorted out on judgment day. And so there are plenty of people within the church who aren't converted. There are plenty of people out in the world that had a false conversion, and you're one of them, and my heart breaks for you. And, and Matt, I just care about you. I'm not trying to win a debate. My motivation is love for you. I want you to find everlasting life. I don't It'd want be to nice then if you'd stop making accusations about what I, what happened and what I actually well, believe I you are. I apologize for the offense I've caused, but I've got to you, just- You're not causing a, no, no, right, right. The offense, you can tell me all day long you don't think I was a real Christian. You think I was a, a false convert. None of that offends me. Okay. What offends me is someone agreeing to come in and discuss something. And then the only thing they do is say that I'm creating straw men, and then they go on to make a bunch of assertions, provide zero evidence and zero argument. It was just, hey, I believe that, you might as well have come in and said, hey, I believe that Satan is the good one, and Satan has a bunch of rules for you, and if you don't pay attention to me and give your life over to Satan, um, you're going to wind up in a terrible, terrible situation at some point. Or you believe that aliens do in fact visit the earth and that they have a list of, of who they're going to abduct and replace uh, with, with replicants and that I'm next on their list and you sincerely believe this and all I have to do is listen to you. When you say all I have to do is do what the gospel says. Now that passage where we picked from, from different books from Matthew 19, um, the person comes up and says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus, depending on what, I don't know, do you have a preferred version of the Bible? Now, I, I know that everyone's going to have their own opinions, and I get that. Um, so try not to take this, you know, to heart. This is not like any kind of rebuke or nothing. But so there's a comment in the live chat saying that you can't use Scripture with Matt Dillahunty. you got to go outside of Scripture and use different types of philosophy like C.S. Lewis may have used to argue against an, an atheist like Matt Dillahunty. Um, there may be some utilitary value in that to a, to a degree, but let's... But there is a universal principle that Scripture does mention, which, like I mentioned earlier, with explaining the true fullness of all the details, you know, how can they believe if they have not heard? So the gospel is a lot more than just the good news that Jesus went to the cross and then died and resurrected. There's more to the story that's still good news that's not being explained to people like Matt Dillahunty. And our Messiah tells us in Matthew 4.14 that he, the sower, sows the word. So when you're sowing something, agricultural metaphor, um, you expect to, to reap a harvest. So when, what do you sow? You sow seeds. Well, the sower sows the word. And so, yes, I agree that sometimes certain, just giving them a sermon is not going to, giving them canned phrases that sounds like a Sunday morning sermon that, that Ray has been using for years for street evangelism will not work with someone like Matt Dillahunty, as we've been discussing. But Matt Dillahunty clearly has been asking and expressing his misunderstanding of the actual details of the Word of God and the big, full message of the good news of the kingdom of God, which is when salvation happens. So, like, this is the this is the the uh, the heart the the unspoken, heartfelt cry from someone like Matt Dillahunty saying, "I've only heard bad explanations of your faith." And then Ray comes in with canned phrases that sounds like a, an evangelistic message on a Sunday morning, which to Matt's ears is more bad explanations of their faith versus explaining the word, sowing the word with him, explaining the details of the story, and then he can go home and chew on it and decide to spit it out or not 
and you've given him the goodness of that full story for you know the father to apply his spirit to to grow into a harvest, right? And so this is why understanding sound doctrine, not partial doctrine, but the fullness of sound doctrine is so important. So personally to me, going tit for tat with philosophy gets you maybe your foot in the door. Um, but honestly, it's you, you've, they've got to actually hear the, the actual word and the actual message that the Creator and His Son are offering to all mankind. And so that, to me, that's, that's my opinion. Like I said, everyone's got their own opinion. So we appreciate you guys. Let's keep going. Whatever. Okay, whatever. Well, I mean, because it's different. Because like in the NIV, it, it, it would say, why do you ask me about that which is good? But if you go back to King James, it's why do you call me good? And well, so- King James. Sorry? Stay with the King James, so there's no sure. confusion. Okay, but in any case, in, in the King James, where it's like, hey, why do you call me good? Um, there's only one that's good, which is kind of strange because, you know, we're, we're still in this notion where Jesus is supposedly God and that he's the only, you know, air quotes human uh, that's ever been perfect. And so it would, it would be kind of strange to say, why would you call me good? But maybe Jesus is trying to teach this person something. Um, and then he says, well, what must I do? And he says, in order to have eternal life, you must keep the commandments. And then he specifically asks, which commandments? And Jesus doesn't say all of them. And he doesn't say, uh, I am the Lord that God, love the Lord with all your heart. None of, that, none of that. He says, you know, don't murder, don't do adultery, don't steal, don't uh, perjure, honor your parents, love your neighbor. Um, and the guy's like, I've done all that. And he said, ah, but if you want to be perfect, sell all your belongings, give them away to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, that is supposedly from Jesus' own mouth, what one must do to be saved, Right. Right. So there's some assumptions there. For one, the use of the word perfect doesn't mean without fail, without sin. It means to be complete until the end. And two, the idea that you have to look at the translations, since they say all your belongings, but the principle from Deuteronomy 15, 8 through 11, that Jesus was encouraging that young rich ruler or that teacher of the law is the idea of uh, out of your abundance, give to the poor. And so this is why it says the man went away sad because he had much wealth. So that was his heart problem. That Jesus was analyzing the guy and saying, look, oh, you're stingy. You're not obeying the heart of the commandments, to, to, which, is, which is what we're told to obey, what will be judged by, the, by the judge, the one that's talking to him in this Matthew 19 example, that's going to give him eternal life, is going to evaluate him on his behavior, every word and deed, Matthew 12, 36. So as a result of that, this, Jesus is analyzing the guy's heart problem, and he's not willing to obey Deuteronomy 15 which is to, to take of your abundance and give to the orphan, the widow, and the poor so that they can be taken care of. This is important. It's an important part of God's system, but he wants people to be taken care of, and he wants us to be generous. Like it says in, I think it's a Proverbs, Psalms 11, a generous man will indeed be refreshed. And he who refreshes others will indeed be refreshed by God. So this is, uh, for one, I, I will see where Matt takes this, but it seems as if he just set Ray up with a couple of false assumptions built into him quoting those passages. One, the idea of perfect, and two, this idea of what Jesus actually responds to by saying, sell of your possessions and give to the poor. Um, the, the, the instruction in Deuteronomy 15 is not to sell all your possessions, and then you're without possessions, because then you would be the poor one. Do you see that? So we have to understand, like, there's, there's a 
contradictions that can arise when we misinterpret the scripture or we we misapply the scripture or we look at a bad translation. Um, so yeah, it's God didn't say, oh, you you can't own anything. You need to be poor. You need to give your give all your transfer of wealth to the poor people. No, he didn't say that. He's just explaining that here's the other thing that you lack. Here's the thing that the commandment you're not following. But the general principle is keep the commandments if you want eternal life. That is taught by Jesus. I'm supposed to sell all my, well, actually, that's to be perfect. To be good, I just need to keep the commandments. No, no, there's an error here, Matt. If you noticed, Jesus added one other thing in there that most of us wouldn't. He said, defraud not. That's not one of the commandments. And I believe the rich young ruler was rich. Defraud not. Mark 10, verse 7. Oh, not, not good, Ray. Oh, not good. Boy, oh, boy. Yeah, Leviticus 19, I think it's even, I think it's verse 17 or 18. It says, do not defraud your neighbor. 17 and 18. He said, defraud not, he threw it in there with the commandments. And I think that guy obtained his money by fraud. It seems that way. That's why he said, go and sell all the goods you've got by fraud and give to the poor. Because we know you can't earn eternal life. It's by grace you're saved through faith. And sell all Oh, man. Oh, yeah, this is this is where classical, traditional, con, you know, preaching and taking stuff. Like, Ray just completely reworded that whole passage that Matt just read word for word. Ray reworded it to a fit and eisegetical belief, which he then assumed something that's already in Leviticus 19 wasn't there. Uh, whew, not, not a good look, Ray. Your goods give to the poor, that doesn't find everlasting life. You can't earn God's favor. You must repent and just trust in Jesus, for by grace you're saved through faith in all of yourselves. You can earn God's favor. That's literally what he tells you to do. That's called obedience. That's how Jesus earned his Father's approval and favor. So this is another extremely bad modern-day church teaching where they say to you, all you have to do is repent and believe. Well, repenting is earning God's favor because you change your bad behavior and start doing the behavior that God commands, which is his commandments, like Jesus just taught, like Matt just quoted from. So here is where Matt's going to eat this dude alive. It's illogical. It doesn't line up with the text. It's it's it's. It's illogical and contradictory to the to what's taught throughout the entirety of Scripture, but this is this bad mantra that so many churches teach nowadays, where they're like, you don't need to actually do anything because then you're earning God's favor. and You can't earn your salvation. They, they phrase it in this really, really bad terminology, as opposed to just saying, by the way, you're supposed to repent and believe. Like, this whole time, he's been talking about what pleases God, which is to change your behavior. It's semantics to suddenly call that earning God's behavior because that's literally what you're doing. Because if you're rejecting God and not repenting, like he wants Matt to repent and believe the gospel, to change his ways. Unless, I don't know, maybe maybe Ray Comfort is a, is a lip service uh, evangelist. Tell me in the comments if you guys know. I, I, thought, I thought he was more, because he talks about the commandments and, and doing the Ten Commandments, ex except for the fourth one, obviously, because, you know... <laughs> Uh, another whole story, another whole video. But, um, I but let me know, guys, if y'all know Ray Comfort. Uh, I've I I've seen a lot of stuff from him in the past, but maybe he's now one of those people that says you don't have to do anything. You can just continue being a heathen, continue actually hurting, oppressing, robbing, raping, killing, cannibalizing people, and just as long as you say you believe in Christ, you're saved. I I don't know. Surely he doesn't believe that, right? So then, if he doesn't believe that, then that means you actually have to do something. And in that doing something, you're pleasing God, which is what Romans 8 talks about. You're walking in the Spirit, and you're submitting yourself to God's law. You're not walking in the flesh. 
So you're, it's just semantics to then say, well, you can't earn God's favor, but oh yeah, you need to stop murdering and, and repent. Well, wh- you think God is favorable to the murderer, or is he more favorable to the person that's repented and stopped murdering? Like this is this is extremely bad culture in the Christian church today that atheists will just pounce on and just eat them out, eat them alive. Like there's this is illogical, it's unscriptural, it's just bad, bad preaching mantras that need to, you know, may the Father raise up a generation of people that are bold enough, brave enough to go out there and actually speak what the Scriptures say. If you want the eternal life part, you believe Christ, who's the judge, he judges you off of what? He tells you directly in Matthew 19, Matt just read it, keep the commandments, Ray. The ones that you go out and evangelize people and say, oh, if you've broken the commandment to lie, you're a liar. (laughs) <laughs> those. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to, I need to grab my own collar and pull myself off the soapbox. And those commandments just bring the knowledge of sin. No one's kept all the commandments. They're, sure. They act as a mirror to show us we're sinners. That's what happened to me on the night, at night of my conversion. And I have everlasting life right now. I'm sitting as old, may not finish this debate. I could go, but I've got everlasting life because I'm saved by God's mercy, not because I'm good, but because God is good and kind. And Matt, I long for the day you come to Christ and you find the truth, and then I'm, I'm going to see you in heaven, not in hell. That would horrify so here's me. Here's the thing. Um, you have a, you're convinced that you have a personal relationship with, with God, right? I'm not convinced. I'm not, you're convinced. not convinced? No, Matt, I'm not convinced I have a relationship with my wife. I have a relationship with my wife. But Nothing you're convinced of it, right? Oh, I have a relationship with my wife. Nothing to do with convincing anything. But no, no, no. Oh my gosh, Ray, this is so so difficult. So for every proposition, you are either convinced or not convinced. You are convinced that you have a relationship with your wife. No. I You're have not? a relationship with my wife. Look, to say I'm convinced sounds ridiculous. As though someone could unconvince me out of my relationship with my wife. And I have a relationship with God that I've had for 48 years. It's going to take me through death. I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave my hand in the hand of Jesus. And I want how, to Okay. Jesus. How can I know you have a relationship with your wife? You don't. I, I didn't say. Yes, you do. <laughs> you do, Ray, because you exemplify it by your behavior. Just like it says in the scriptures, we'll be known by our love as disciples of Christ. That's us having a relationship with our master, Christ. We're, we'll be known by our love. Love is the fulfillment of doing the commandments. Romans 14, John 15. 8 to 11, like, you know, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep the commandments. Like this is, yes, there's, it's evidentiary evidence through behaviors, through deeds, that we have a relationship with Christ. First John 3, 2, or excuse me, First John 2, uh, 3 through 6, right? Sinio says he loves, uh, loves God. He must do the commandments. He must walk as Jesus walked, right? So I think Matt's setting him up to, to hit the home run here. This is sad to see. Hey, how how do I? I said, how could I? Could you? How could you demonstrate to me that you have a relationship with your wife? You could come around here. It could be putting on an act. So I can't. I can't do that. I can't convince you. I can show you a marriage certificate. It could be made up. You've got to have faith. So what I'm saying? No, 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 no. I don't have to have faith. I can look at. So so there's a lot of things that somebody could do. Like I'm no longer married, but when I was married, I could easily convince anybody, uh, you know, who's not, you know, somehow deficient. That I am in fact married and have a relationship with my wife. We lived together for a decade, nearly. How would you do that? So, so a relationship is defined as two people interacting in some way jointly for some period of time. 
I can have good relationships. I can have bad relationships. But the fact that my wife and I got married, got a marriage certificate, filed it with the, the government. It is there as an official documented, represented, represented, represented ourselves as married, lived together and entertained people. Other people interacted with this. There's a mountain of evidence that I had a relationship with my wife. Not if I say I don't believe any of it. It just nullifies it all for me, like what you do yes. with the gospel. Yes, and this is why I said I could demonstrate to anybody who didn't have some defect. <laughs> You can't so you can't just say I'm not going to believe it. That's what you do. No, it's not. This is the great lie that you tell all the time. I'm trying to show I'm trying to show that there's a fundamental difference between the evidence you can provide for a relationship with your wife and a relationship with a god. The relationship with a wife, you could easily demonstrate to me and I think that you absolutely know that you like all you had to do was say here's my wife and I would take your word for it. Yeah, I have, you have faith. No, I would have confidence based on evidence. Confidence is confidence, confidence, confidence is, is not faith. Faith is the, the excuse people get for believing something when they don't have a good reason. That's if you not, have a good reason, you give it. That's not true. Trust and confidence are the same thing. Give me, give me three. So let's say, let's say that I said, Ray, I don't believe you're married. What are the first three things you would do to try to prove to anybody that you were married? I wouldn't bother. Okay. It, uh, so if you're not all right we have uh, atheist discussions in the live chat hey instead of reviewing the silly things you think i've said tonight you're welcome to come onto the channel and we can say some silly things back and forth to each other in real time just let me know you can welcome to email me at thebravebelievers at gmail.com it's in the video description below loved it love to have you going to be an honest interlocutor i don't know what to do May I could show you the marriage certificate, but if you didn't believe it, it's that's not, not the that's not the point, Ray. Stop pretending that you can read my mind and just answer the question. If someone came up to you and said, "Please prove to me that you are married," what are what's like just three things that you would try to do? You show a marriage certificate, mm -hmm. and that's about it. You wouldn't introduce them to your wife and have them vouch for you as well. I would. Huh? I said, "This is my wife, Sue." They got to sure. believe that. And then if, if you say you're in a relationship with Sue and Sue says she's in a relationship with you, you don't think that would be convincing to almost everybody in the world? Almost. Some people might say sure. I don't believe that. Can you do any of those two things for God? Yes. Where's the, where's the certificate of your relationship with God? All right. See, Ray fell for it. Matt was setting him up this whole time. And he's saying, look, oh, so here's how you, with, your, with two people in the same room and, or on the earth that are alive, you can validate that they're in a relationship together by the testimony of each of them. And he's going to, he, he then turns that back on Ray to say, well, you can't do that with God because God's not here to validate he's in a relationship with you. So therefore it's just your imagination that you're in a relationship with God. Um, so this is why it, according to the religious belief of Ray, he should know what his religious belief defines as walking with God, which is to do the behavior of God, just like a husband and wife do behavior that they both agreed upon. That's what being in covenant with God's about, is that you do the behavior of God that he teaches you through his commandments, which is part of the covenant. So therefore, you know that you can be loving God and you can know God by walking with him in his commandment. And yes, it is a the faith of seeing him in person at the resurrection is the faith part. That's the part that you have to believe in that you can't see right now. But what you can do right now is the behavior that's listed out for you, which the behavior is not is not uh, atrocious. The behavior is good. It's beneficial for all mankind. It's wisdom, right? So it's loving. This is how you can know that you're walking with God. It's that easy. Unfortunately, 
it's apparently not in the memory or the or the the recall of our brother Ray tonight. And so he just uh he just got put on a on a T ball stand and and swung at by an adult. God. That, that, no, no, no. Those scriptures existed before you. That cannot be that cannot be a document that shows your relationship with God. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's open. That's universal. The whole of humanity. And I've God called will, upon the name of the Lord, the same Lord that you called upon. The gospel truth, Matt. So, so you can't provide a certificate of your relationship, and God won't vouch for you to me. So do, do you at least recognize that there's... God has to vouch for me to you. Well, he, your wife would. She might. <laughs> I, I don't. So this is this is like it's like I come up with a hypothetical to expose that there's a difference between what you can demonstrate between your relationship with your wife and your relationship with God because you try to to, to put them on the same footing. You're not happy that I say you're convinced. So you have a relationship with God. Does He talk to you? Yes, through His Word daily. It's, we can well, we can keep going with this just to let you know that at the same time if we want to redirect it back to the gospel, but I'm flexible to where I know that this is tied or weaved in with the gospel. So it's up to you guys. I'll defer to you guys as the uh, speakers. Well, I, I just kind of wanted to see if I can finish this last thought, but I'm pretty sure I know where it's going. Uh, God speaks to me through his word daily. So, but you don't hear like hear God's voice and he doesn't say, Hey, you should tell Matt this. So but if I start hearing physical voices, I'd see a therapist. I, I'm not, I wasn't trying to go down that. I wonder if Ray believes in angels who are the messengers of God, who then literally show up and say to people messages from the creator. I mean, that's part of his faith, according to the book that he's been espousing tonight. So I, I wonder if that's, if he actually believes that part of the book. Um, again, I, I don't know the fullness of, I don't, I don't know the fullness of, uh, of his, of his belief set and his version of Christianity. So root Ray, I'm trying to figure out you're convinced that you hear from God. Millions of people do. No, no, no. Millions of people are convinced. I'm not convinced that you hear from God. You, you well, get in, you get inspiration through the scripture that you think is a message from God. I think you get inspiration from scripture that you have not demonstrated as a message from God and is most likely your own brain telling you what to think. How can, how, how can some, how can an outsider tell the difference? Here's Ray. Yeah. By the way, people are asking if there was a moderate, they heard a third voice on, on this video. And yes, I've actually cropped the video. If you, I got the original link to the original video in the video description, but I've actually cropped the video just to show uh, Ray and Matt because the original video has a whole bunch of other graphics and nonsense going on. Very distractive to the actual debate. And the moderator himself is on camera and he's at the bottom and he's just sitting there like this, like, scrolling scrolling the internet not paying attention so yeah i just cropped all that out and but you'll hear his voice from time to time and it's almost over we got like two minutes left who got a message from god through scripture and here's john who thinks he got a message from god through scripture and i'm sitting on the outside how can i tell the difference between them which one's right to yourself just search the scriptures and be as the marines and see if things these things are so that's all but that that begins with the assumption that the scriptures are true the if the question is are the scriptures true you can't begin no. Well, okay. Yeah. He quoted Acts 17. So unfortunately I wish he would have quoted something more along the lines of like, you know, test all things first Thessalonians five. Um, Cause that is the admonition of scriptures, right? So we test all things. And so 
if we take something from the scriptures that says, you know, hey, he who uh, uh, kidnaps kidnaps one of the sons or daughters of Israel and sells them in the slave trade is deserving of death, or he who takes a woman in the field against her will is deserving of death, or he who, you know, murders an, another man is deserving of death, can we test that to see if that's good, sound judgment? Some people, I don't know Matt's position on that, but some people will say, oh, I don't believe in the death penalty. So that's all of that's, you know, horrible, horrible, horrible God, uh, Old Testament God vengeance stuff that I don't agree with. You know, I had a discussion with an atheist like that one time. Um, and so, you know, it just depends on where they're at. Specifically, you got to ask them where they're at. But the general concept that Ray's trying to say is, I I don't have to start from the general position that the Bible's true. That's what Matt is assuming. You don't have to. Like, you can go out and test what the Bible claims to see if it's good for you or not. And when I did, radical moment. It's good for me. It's good for me. It's been good for my whole life to help me discipline myself to better relationships, to bring me into a sense of purpose, to give me an incredible sound mind that I can weed through uh, fallacious arguments and sophistry, as well as inventions uh, brought me into being able to to explore and expand some of the gifts and talents I have in this life. A variety of things that's been good for me. That's been my experience, right? That I've tested the Word of God and seen that it's true. So I would encourage everyone within the sound of my voice, do that same test. And with an assumption that they're true. Just need faith in the grain of a mus- of mustard seed. That's all. Just start reading with a humble heart and say, God, please teach me through your word. Takes you but but faith isn't evidence. Faith is not... If, so I could have faith that the Quran is true, right? But that doesn't mean it's true. That's right. So how can I know that the scripture that you're pointing to is actually true? You can't say faith. Can't tell me what I can't say. Just obey the gospel. Put the cart before the horse. Let, let me just explain what that means. If you put the horse before the cart, you're not going anywhere. I'm not trying to convince you the Bible. That's exactly how carts and horses work. You've got it backwards. I'll let you rethink you that. The horse before the cart. The cart's pulled by the horse. Obey the gospel, and the scriptures will come come make sense to you. Yeah, so you're, what you're saying is you have to believe before you're going to get any sort no, of evidence. No, repent and trust Christ. I did that. So the Bible's full of people that God's goodness was extended to, whether through miracles or through wisdom or through uh, efficacious judgment and judgment um, or through literal salvation, like the people that came out, the Egyptians that came out with the Hebrews in the story of the Exodus um, who then were grafted into the family of Israel and taken care of by God. Like, there's a ton of examples in the scriptures and in and, and the gospels with Yeshua healing people left and right that people that that uh, got healed that did not entirely believe all the details that Ray's talking about. So it's like the goodness of a God is reaching out to people to draw them in. And that's the idea of literally a verse that says the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. But Ray's just saying, repent, and then all this will make sense. So, again, it's it's like, I unfortunately, um, Ray's not built for debate, I don't think, because Matt is eating him alive and uh, and setting all these mental traps for, for Ray, and, and Ray's just, it's like, you know, it's like a, a field full of bear traps, and Ray's just like skipping through the field and just, getting his legs completely chopped off one after another. It's, it's, it's really sad. It's really, really sad. It's not a good look for our brother Ray. See, I didn't say anything to that because you get upset. 
what I get upset about is when you're talking about things that aren't relevant, like what you think is in my head. Because you're really, really wrong. And, and, and that's, it's great because there's no way to demonstrate it. Just like there's no way for you to demonstrate the truth of your conviction that there is a God or that God is the, the, the lawgiver or judge of the universe or that the scriptures are true. You just take it on faith, which you said so. Well, I can't do that. I won't do that. It's not a sound epistemology. It's not a pathway to truth. You don't even care what the truth is because when I ask questions that are designed to expose a methodology to get to the truth, you just smile and refuse. I don't need to prove anything to you. Well, congratulations. You haven't. I'm ready, James. And James, you said, uh, stay with the gospel. And I've tried the best I could to stay with the gospel because I know the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And it's the gospel that Matt needs to hear to see his need of God's forgiveness. And that's why I try to open up those commandments to prepare. It's weird that you think I haven't heard it repeatedly. That's right. You've got a hardened heart and I'm praying you'll soften it up. Yeah, well. Matt, I just- Better a hardened heart than a hardened brain. Yeah. Matt, I want to close by saying um, I really uh, I'm honored that you spoke to me um, when friends said don't do it because I'll preach. You still did it anyway, and I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to what I have to say. All right. Well, his, his friends were right. Oh, we missed one, by the way. He uh, he called he called uh, Ray having a hardened brain. So, but yeah, uh, uh, sadly. Um, Oh, wow. What'd you guys think? Did you, did you agree with Ray's approach tonight with Matt's? Did you, did you think that he made any good points? Did you think that Matt's, did you agree with his approach with Ray? Do you think he made any good points? Um, obviously you heard everything I said and, and it's crazy to me as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ who studies the word daily. And I hear pastors misrepresent the word in an evangelistic effort to teach someone the truth and lead them to the truth of God. And the person they're sitting across from is telling them, is giving them like incredible amounts of things to work with as they, with almost, you know, his introductory statements, his first 10 minute statements or whatever, he revealed to Ray a ton of misconceptions about the Bible that he didn't truly actually understand. Ray didn't pick up on any of that. He just kept going with this bulldozed evangelistic mindset and unfortunately Matt was not going to respond to that and um, and in the end it just turned into Matt's uh, just just uh, bringing up arguments in a specific manner that Ray was not prepared for so it's unfortunate it's unfortunate guys if you enjoyed my reaction if you liked some of the commentary during this review and reaction uh, hit that thumbs up. Share this on your socials. If you haven't already, you can download our Kingdom in Context app from our main channel. We have a fellowship finder. We actually do scriptures through articles. Um, we also have uh, new things that are being built into it right now uh, that's going to bless both ministries and businesses. And so you can also get you know notified when we go live, as many of you probably did, even on this channel, The Brave Believer. So all of our efforts, basically, we can funnel through the app. It's free to download. And uh, you don't have to pay anything for it. And so hopefully it's a blessing to you. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. Thank you everyone in the live chat. Thank you guys for the super chats. And uh, we hope you guys have a great night. We'll see you next time.